0: What's up my fellow ambitious poker players and welcome to the Mechanics of Poker podcast in which me, Renee, AKA Deweco and Adam Carmichael deconstruct high stakes poker players, figuring out what it is about them, how they think, what they do that makes them so successful with an extra focus on the obstacles they faced and the skills they had to develop to surpass them. This podcast is brought to you by Poker Ambition If you are ambitious about making more progress in your poker career, go over to their site, PokerAmbition.com, and find out which service is best for you. But without further ado, let's get into today's episode. Hi there, my fellow ambitious poker players. Welcome back to another episode of the Mechanics of Poker podcast. Today, we are going to have a conversation with Julian, GVL star Schultheis. Julian is a high stakes online cash game player who has been playing poker for over 12 years. Just like many others we had on the podcast, he was very competitive from a young age in both computer games and sports and mentioned that the work ethic needed to succeed in those areas is very similar to poker. So I'm very curious to see what those are. Adam, thanks for joining me again today. What are you excited for to talk about with today's guests?
1: Yeah, I'm super excited to dig into this 12 year journey. Hopefully, there's a lot of nuggets to unpack for all the audience. And when you take a long time to reach a goal, generally, you've had to overcome a lot of challenges and adversity. And I think as the listener, hopefully, they'll relate to a lot of the problems our guest has gone through and how he's been able to overcome them. Also, 12 years takes a lot of resilience, a lot of motivation, endurance to get to uh, the top of your field. It takes a long time to commit to that. So uh, yeah, really intrigued to uh, see what challenges he went through and what kind of skills he's had to build in order to overcome the obstacles he's faced. How about yourself, René? What are you most looking forward to to getting into?
0: Yeah, uh, as as I think you were referring to, it took him 12 years to get to high stakes, which is very long compared to some other guests. Uh, He also mentioned that He believes you can succeed at anything you put your mind to. It's a similar mindset that I have. So he thinks that, you know, talent is a little bit overrated in that regards. And I guess he learned that through experience. Um, So yeah, very curious to get into it. Before we get into today's conversation, though, I wanted to quickly announce something to our listeners, because the doors to our Mechanics of Poker coaching program are closing. I know, sad faces, but... No worries because they're closing because behind the scenes, we've been working very hard on the mechanics of poker 2.0 more content. uh, It will include more personal attention and more exclusive community, which means that we will only be taking on a small group of players that fit our specific profile. That means that right now is your last chance to guarantee a seat in an RP and one of the most complete coaching programs out there which will help you break free from low and mid stakes and rise all the way to the high stakes. Throughout the month of July, we are going to be running our first and most likely last ever promotion. It's a 25% off closing sale on the Mechanics of Poker program. And if you enroll now, you will get lifetime access to all updates, including all the goodness that is coming up in the Mechanics of Poker 2.0. Okay, so grab this unique opportunity before the doors are closed and let us help you realize your poker goals. Go over to pokerambition.com to enroll. And without further ado, let's have Julian on for a great conversation. Guten Morgen, Julian, meine Freund, wie geht's?
2: Sehr gut, vielen Dank, und selbst?
0: Okay, that's the only jury you're going to get from me. I assume you asked how I'm doing, so I would say it's good as well. Sehr gut. Okay, okay. I passed the German test. Great, uh, Julian. There is a, very happy to have you on. Thank you for coming on. There's Thanks for having me. Thanks for uh, this. Where we can start this podcast, being the GVL star in '69, I think it's pretty pretty self explanatory, right? Uh, you mentioned to me that it was from the song "The Summer of '69," of and course, I'm sure that uh, that that's exactly what all the listeners thought as well. No, but I wanted to start at the the beginning and your first encounter with that competitive side in you um, that came out when playing video games and football. Could you walk us through that time and when you noticed you were being more competitive than the other children and why you think competing is so rewarding for you?
2: yeah so when I look back I was always like a little play child it started with like these TV consoles like Nintendo 64 PlayStation and like when I played there I always played and I played all day and when a friend came over and I played against a friend I always needed to beat them and when I didn't beat them I was like freaking out I was freaking out the controllers went through the room and like I always made sure when my friends came back that I beat them another day, or they gave me a new game, and I said I'm not gonna quit here until I finish the game. Or remember, that was Mario Kart, or was it yeah Diddy Kong Racing or whatever on 64? I don't know. I was playing it through in eight hours or something like that when I was ten years old. So there's always been like very competitive. And then when I got older, uh, I got into Counter Strike, and uh, basically played Counter Strike uh, online. Like you had the first uh, fast internet back in Germany because I was living on a village. And uh, yeah, whenever it was like school was off or I went, uh it was like holiday of school, I just played like nonstop, like curtains closed, uh, lights out, put some drinks and some food next to my computer and just like started playing and playing and playing and always wanted to get better, always wanted to improve. And then, yeah, I started to play, I believe it was called ESL, like Electronic Sports League and started playing in there with a friend, like a two on two league and a five on five league. And then, um, yeah, by the end, we played some amateur uh, series as well. And uh, yeah, basically gaming or being competitive and like having the drive and ambition to get better at something that that was always, it always has been there. And um, yeah, when I was 16, um, I started to take football more serious. Uh, I remember like the coach from the senior team. He asked me if I didn't want, because I was a goalkeeper and they were short of goalkeepers. So if you want to have like a good training. I need two goalkeepers and I only had one. And then he took me when I was 16. He took me already to the senior team. And then I just started training all day, uh, like five days a week. I played one match in the second team on the weekend. And then for the first team, I did the sub uh, played as, or like was on a bench as a sub. So yeah, like it has been like a long two years of just like grinding football. And actually my dream was always to become a professional football player, like professional goalkeeper. But uh, yeah, in the end, I didn't make it. I played like one match in uh, the fifth league in Germany. And I started to make a little bit of money from it. But like, I couldn't get any further. And uh, I was also a bit of like a tough child. Like when I was young, it wasn't easy. I wasn't really easygoing. I was always this enfant terrible. Uh, I would say in a sense, like the rebel, the provocative guy. And yeah, my trainers and like the the people in the management, they they couldn't cope too much with me. And um, yeah, that's when I basically discovered poker when I was like 17 or 18 years old.
0: All right. Is it, is it you mentioned that the gaming, this sounds very familiar. Uh, I used to go over to a, to a friend of mine and that guy was way more competitive than mine. He hated losing. And then we would start off playing strategio. Stratego. What's the English word for that? Is that the name? You know, where you have like the marshal, you put your bombs and you have to capture the flag. What's the English word for this game?
2: Oh, God, I can't remember. Couldn't tell you. No okay, either.
0: in Dutch, it's called Stratego. So for the people <laughs> who are interested, look it up. But we would play that game, and then he would lose in that, and then he would bring out the ping pong table. Then we would play in that, lose that. I think we started playing a little bit poker as well. Heads up, sitting goes. Yeah. Uh And afterwards, we would play FIFA. And if he would lose, he would just kick me out of the house. Uh sounds so very familiar. I was never I was never that much of a sore loser. I didn't like to lose. I like to compete. I like to play games, but he was yeah. very a very sore loser. You you more hated the feeling of losing? Is that is I, that just a feeling that you wanted to avoid?
2: It's I don't know, it was like very emotional uh in a sense and like very how can I say I didn't like losing like the feeling of losing it wasn't right for me like I needed to win to feel good and I wanted to be better than the other one and hey, you have this feeling like you want to be superior you want to be superior and like losing I couldn't take it like I said I, I throw out controllers I broke the keyboard I broke my mouses I, I don't know at one point while playing poker I smashed a hole into my screen and stuff like it was like very very Um, yeah competitive Well, obviously in poker it doesn't really serve you when you're that emotional like in general yes you need this drive you need this ambition but if it's taking over too much and you're getting too emotional all the time it also doesn't doesn't serve you really in the long run right
0: does a moment stick out to you when you were in your poker career and you realized this because now you realize that you know that sometimes too much emotions and being too competitive didn't serve you do you remember a certain moment in your poker career where you were like okay this has to change
2: Yeah, it was the first time. So I was still playing in Germany on the side while I was studying. And then, like, I had, like, a good balance of life. So I was going to uni. I was seeing my friends from home. And then when I had time, when I had spare time, I played poker, basically. So, like, it was fine then. But when I came first to the UK in 2015, I was was playing full-time. And basically, the only thing I had, like, I was living in a grinding house as well. And basically, the only thing I had was just poker. I didn't have, like, a balance. Uh, I didn't have a big social circle besides the friends that were living with me in my house. And then uh, all of a sudden I went on a big downswing. And uh, yeah, then this thing happened where I just punched my screen. And I was like, okay, we need to fix something, right? We need to change something. And then I discovered uh, the mental game of poker by Gerald Um It was like really, really, really good. Like basically like a self-help book, right? You're going through it and you're taking the notes, you're doing the exercises and you learn why variance is happening. And you, you learn uh, that it's necessity of the game have variance and to have downswings and yeah from that point on i kept on improving my mental game but obviously it was still a long way i think i read it like four or five times through my career um this book but now yeah being a bit older being a bit more experienced having a bigger bankroll probably having less testosterone being being more reflected about myself and got overall a bit more quiet i can really like put these emotions into the right place and i basically don't get tilled anymore. Like I get exhausted and I make mistakes during a, uh, during a session but it's not like I'm sitting here and I'm steamrolling or something like that these days, these days they are long gone. I make sure these days that I have a proper work life balance. Like I, I don't sit in front of the computer anymore all day and just like play, play, play. I make sure I go outside, I go for a walk, I go to a gym, I meet friends and uh, just like a, a day in front of the computer for me Uh, would be like a lost day so i always have to do something on the side and have to like really keep the balance and when i notice i'm getting tired when i notice i play my b game more often i just take a break and just take one or two days off and do something completely different
0: yeah i think uh, this sounds very familiar i think we talked about this in the pub before when poker is basically all you have then succeeding in that becomes very important whereas if poker didn't really go your way but hey you know you have other hobbies or you have other things that you know you're happy with in life, how you do in poker in the short term doesn't really influence you that much anymore. I do yeah. assume you still. What what is like the modern tilt version of Julian? How does that look? The modern tilt,
2: version? I think like I'm actually like not tilted at all anymore. I said like I'm getting tired and I'm noticing I'm playing and I feel like I'm getting sucked down into the earth. But I'm like, oh god, I'm down so much. But the games are good. I keep on playing. I know I should take a break, but then when the games are really good. I try to i try to play a little more but yeah i guess this is like the thing i have to be working on when i notice okay this is the time now it's time to put even let's say even if you have like a big loser like a hundred bb losers sitting at your table you still have to be focused because you have to call down the guy with ace high in spots, right you have to call down the guy with fifth pair and if you are tilted or if you're tired if you're exhausted you can't really make this judgment anymore so a lot of people are saying yeah the games have been so good and I had two tables with a whale and he was screwing around money but yeah, it's nice when you get aces, it's nice when you flop a set, it's nice when you flop a flush, but when you have third pair, you need to be hundred percent focused, right, to make the best judgment. So uh yeah, this is definitely something I have to work on in the future. And um yeah, I will, I will for sure. I've always done and I always will this is like my form of tilt or like this is like my my weakness that i'm having but like getting tilted about things at the table it's like yeah another flip another flip loss another flip loss ah, kings and aces again it's whatever like i've seen this like a million times and it's just it's just normal at some point i
0: would say yeah i, I guess at some point also you learn along i mean you've been playing for over 12 years i guess yeah. you know you keep frustrating yourself for all these things and at some point in your career you're like what's the point <laughs> right like yeah. this. Yeah, never mind. Yeah, okay, yeah, another. I mean, it, obviously still, if if there comes an insane run, you know, it, it still uh, stre- stresses you out a little bit, I assume, right? Uh, yeah,
2: and, and it's but- depending on the stakes as well, right? Like if I play my normal stakes, if I play like my, I won't say like comfort stakes, but like the stakes that I'm playing on a daily basis that are still quite challenging, it's fine. But then if you take a shot at like a higher game, if you take a shot at 5K, take a shot at 10K, and then all of a sudden you lose... lose three buy-ins and then you sit there and you're almost so stressed and then every decision it's a blackout you blackout you blackout you play against the best players Mm -hmm. in the world and then all of a sudden they put you into the spot because they will always put you into the spot and then it's getting like really really tough like if it's on my normal stakes it's fine like i can take a break maybe for an hour to go for a walk have some food have a drink like have a coffee or something then come back and play Good again. I wouldn't say like my best again, but play decent again. But yeah, if it happens at the highest stake, if you're taking a shot, it's getting really frustrating.
0: What do you think? You mentioned blackout. So basically, you know, your brain Choke. just stop, stop, stop working. What do you think? Yeah. Is it about taking a shot at a higher stake? You mentioned tougher players that put you in tougher spots. Why do you think you black out at those kind of moments sometimes?
2: Uh, at first, you play against the best players, and you're like, "Oh shit, this guy!" Like, and it, like I was always under the impression that the best guys they have a bluff in every spot, right? And then you're over, you're over analyzing, and you see these guys like Stefan or something, Stefan one one two two, or I don't know, David Jones or Linus. Like, you see the hand histories, and you're like, "My good god, what's going on He Bluffed in this in this spot, so be, he will be bluffing everywhere." So you're you're stressed about this. Then it's like a monetary stress, of course. Uh, because you're putting a lot of your role at stake as well, or maybe you have sold some action and then your weight of your friends is on your shoulders as well. And uh, yeah, it's just like, basically, it's just the amount of money and the players that you're playing against that really make this time so difficult. But then in the end, if you want to climb up the stakes, if you want to succeed at these stakes, you have to go through this, right? You have to be sitting in hand and you have to be choking. You have to have a blackout and you have to be realizing this and like learn from this and then come back and get more comfortable with that feeling because like, if you do something for the first time, you will always be nervous. You will always be choking and everything will be new. But to get somewhere where you want to be, you just need to like, like keep being uncomfortable, keep being uncomfortable. Then afterwards, do the analysis, like go through the hands, analyze them, go through with other players, go through with your poker buddies and then come back and be better and be more prepared and like feel more comfortable. And if you don't feel monetary comfortable, sell probably more money or maybe even just like play a little bit of lower stakes, like get a bigger bankroll. And then come back and play these guys, because if you come and play short, I've done this as well, like I've played over my role like a lot a lot, and then all of a sudden you're losing fifty thousand, you're losing hundred thousand in quick succession, and all of a sudden it hits you like a brick ball, and this I guess this is where like um like tilting or like a bad mental game comes from in the long run, so yeah, better be prepared when you're taking a shot, have the money ready, have enough money on the side as well because if you're just like. You're trying to wreck battle on poker stars at like 5k and you only have 30k in your roll. Uh, even if you have more money, it's feeling very uncomfortable, uncomfortable. Like, have 100k, have 150k, have 200k on poker stars. And if you lose four buy ins, it doesn't really matter. And you can comfortably come back and you don't have to think about the transfers of where you get the money from and have to swap Bitcoin, have to swap ACR for poker stars and stuff like that. This is something I learned as well. Like, when I do these wreck battles, like I'm not doing them at the minute, but when I do them, I have, to, I have the money ready and I don't want to be stressing about the money
0: yeah that's uh that's that's definitely uh a good good advice i think also what you what you said understanding that this is a certain uncomfort you have to go through and before you jump into the session like know that this is going to happen like if you take if you put yourself in a shot like that and you do have a blackout don't tilt completely like this was part of the shot right and there's unfortunately yeah. no way around it but i think Uh, being a bit empathetic towards the fact that you're going to choke in a couple of spots because of the money pressure, because of the fact that Stefan is putting you in a spot. I think that's always very important to align these expectations before you take a shot like that.
2: Exactly. You have to do do your homework. You have to be prepared there. Your mindset has to be on point. Again, you have to have the money ready. You have to have your skill set ready and you have to be ready to play spots and like certain notes or certain lines in the strategy because these guys, they will play different strategy, right? They have different sizings. And uh, they, they probably have leads and spots. They have like two X and spots that other people at 1K or 2K don't have. You have to be like, get ready to be freestyling a bit and like do your best guess and stuff. And then again, like if you finish the session, just like really analyze it like really deeply and see what they are doing and like try to figure out what they're doing and what's good about it, what's bad about it and where they have their little flaws and where they're a little bit too aggressive, where they have like these, these over frequencies, et cetera, et cetera. This is quite important as well, because if you just come back without improving, you're still the same person you were last session, right? And last session wasn't enough to succeed, to have succeeded in the session. So it's always just like study, play, study, play, get better, come back, get better, come back. And this is what I took over from football as well, right? You train, you train, you train. And then you have your one game like on the weekend and you come back and then you train and then you analyze and then you, you, you practice, you practice, you practice, and then you come back and then you, that's how you're getting better.
0: Yeah. Because you, you, you mentioned that you realized that when you started to play poker, that the work ethic necessary to succeed was very similar to the work ethic necessary to succeed in the games that you played, you mentioned now football. What do you think are some characteristics or some work ethic characteristics? I don't know if this is the right word that you think are necessary to succeed, not only in poker, but I guess in life in general, quite broad, but...
2: In life in general, I think it's like you have to uh, continuously improving, like be insistent with improving, like look back at the person you were yesterday, right? And see what you've done wrong. And just maybe it's not like, getting like like better in like 10 different areas of life or 10 different areas of poker. It's important just to focus on like one step at a time because in the end, it's like a marathon, not a sprint, uh, I would say, and you just have to like keep on going. And don't don't compare yourself to someone else, right? Of course, you can have your idols, you can have your Cristiano Ronaldo in poker, you can have your Linus in poker, but if you want to improve and if you want to get where you want to be, like look at the person you have been yesterday and like look at your mistakes that you've made and improve them and then go from there and it's just like in life as well like if you want to be happy in life as well right you have to think of, like you have to change the way you're approaching life as well because if you're doing the same thing for like a year or two you're getting like completely bored of your life right? and everything is the same so you actually you have to go to new places you have to meet new people you have to read a book and stuff like that to come like up with new ideas and to, yeah to learn some wisdom from like Uh, influential people in the past right how have they been dealing with things as well so for me it's just like continuously improving in poker but also continuously improving my normal life um so i can really like be a good influence for my friends for my for my family for my community right and in the end this is more important uh than myself because for myself i've already done everything right like when you're a poker player i just it was interesting i had a chat yesterday with an old poker friend and we basically said, yeah, we've already lived three lives, right? We played such a big volume. We've been through like so many ups and downs and we have learned so much from poker. So for me already, it's at a time where like giving back makes me happier. is more fulfilling to me than just like keep on doing my own thing. Because in the end, I've already done everything. I've traveled a lot, not everything, but most things, right? And then it's very repetitive. And in the end to, to become like really happy is like actually like taking care of your community or taking care of the people that are close to you and try to improve their lives and even if it's just like a little thing if it's just like a phone call when you call your mom or your dad in the evening or maybe there's a friend has something on their mind and you meet them for a beer or coffee or whatever It's just like just the little things to keep on improving and keep on giving back from your experience so these people can save some time or like have like a better time overall I would say
0: yeah, I think that's, uh, I definitely can relate to that, that at some point in your career when you reach a certain amount of success, for example, I know you do coaching as well. I transitioned into coaching as well. At some point you feel like, oh, I learned all these things and it feels very rewarding if you can then share that knowledge with other people and see them uh, have success. I mean, that's also a reason, for example, why we're all here talking about these kind of things on the pod, right? To see if we can say something that will help the listeners and share our experience in the path that we yeah. uh, we have walked. Uh, it's 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 interesting that you also mentioned you uh, a word that I wrote down was same approach same results that's something that you mentioned like okay uh, what's going to be different the next time you try if you haven't improved the last time right sometimes you hear people oh they they broken up and they come back together then I ask okay what are you guys going to do different this time then they don't give an answer it's like okay yeah this is just doomed to fail in another six months and yeah six months later they failed again Uh, also i think it's interesting that a lot of people often like the uncomfort of taking for example a shot in a tougher game people usually try to avoid that uncomfort by preparing so hard on a previous stake they're trying to make sure that that doesn't happen do you think that 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 is a big mistake i think
2: it's a big mistake because at some point again yes have the money ready have the role and be like get prepared in your head that you can lose a certain amount but then you can't prepare yourself for the next big thing, right? You can't prepare, you can in a certain way, but in the end, it's about like showing up. You have to show up and play these games, right? like like yeah, the nervosity, like when you're playing, you get in there, you're nervous, your heart will be beating, you might be a little bit excited. And they're like all these like, is all these variables that you really can't prepare for in game because you can't believe really, you can't prepare every spot that will be happening and the spot will be happening differently to what you are expecting because the guys are just better right they will put you they will put the pressure on and they will put the pressure on more often than you than you can ever think of and then again it's like more stakes more money and yeah you can't really like simulate or like think about how the pressure is so do your preparations, do your homework, be prepared, but don't over-prepare. Like one day, just if you're feeling ready, just like step up. And like, I think there's this famous quote of, I think Woody Allen or something. And he said 90% of life is just like showing up, right? Just show up. Yeah. Do, do your thing, learn from it and then come back, but come back better. Uh, and don't over-prepare. That would be my advice for
1: sure.
0: Yeah, it's definitely embracing that uncomfort. You cannot prepare for a 10K game at 500 l Zoom. You know, yeah, you can no. get better technically, maybe, you yeah, know, but... obviously. But yeah, then when you play 10K against Lions, he's going to put you in spots that the average 500 and L Zumpu is not going to put cool. you in. And indeed, no. like, it's a this is the moment type of stress, you know, that that, that that's uh, filling your plot. Um, yeah. So you talked a lot about continuous improvement, right? This requires a certain mindset. For example, you need to have a growth mindset. You need to believe that you can improve in anything because else what's the point, right? People with a fixed mindset, they see feedback, they lose and they accept, well, okay, then I guess this is my limit. So you need to have the belief that you can succeed in anything. In the questionnaire, you did did actually mention that, that you think talent is a bit overrated and that you believe you can succeed anything you put your mind into. When you... try to apply this to poker, uh, kind of the loop of continuous improvement. How did that look on a day-to-day, week-to-week, month-to-month basis? What are some things that you were doing to consistently improve in the beginning of your career?
2: Uh, It was like a long time. I was just like playing mid stakes and like full ring and like bum hunting and there were no solvers outright. You had a few people that you were talking to. And then they knew some tricks that I knew some things to do, and like people were just like overfolding in every spot massively. But then it was like I think like six or seven years ago, right, the solver era kicked in, and all of a sudden everything was was changing uh in the beginning, like I downloaded piosolver, of course, but I didn't really use it, and I always asked my old roommates, "Come on, let's start let's start." But they were also a bit like too lazy to do it and then at some point of just like being like average, you notice everybody's getting better, right, and all of a sudden, I was having these like extreme downswings. I remember a time when I had like probably like a 100 buy and down swing plus my win rate was probably like zero point something x I was just lazy and I wasn't putting in the work and I was just like hoping uh, that things would go better right I wasn't in charge I wasn't in control I wasn't like the creator of my future I was just sitting there and just like hoping that the waves will like calm down in a certain way um, but then yeah after realizing this um, i gave it another shot and then i basically started the coaching with stefan together he just said yeah you can join the stable as a coach and then i noticed okay to like give something back to these guys i need to put in a lot of work as well and then yeah basically started like uh, with like a lot of piles since like, i get like the, the fundamental understanding of how the software works and what's the heuristics behind it and what's like reoccurring things so you basically you learn the strategy uh, a little bit. And at the beginning, I was like, just like trying to copy in a sense. I learned, I learned the game like a vocabulary in the end. I was like going through spots and it was just like repetitive, repetitive. Oh, I played another three, but small plan spot, and I looked through this again, and again, I was like, okay, this is what the solver does, but not really understanding the why's behind it. Just more like trying to copy it. So that was like a starting point for me. And then, yeah, it turned into like basically uh, me tagging all the hands that I played whenever I had a question to a hand before I start the next session. I would go through it with pile and like get some yeah come to some new conclusions or like at least get up the confidence because in the end it's like a big confidence game right you need to be you need to be uh, executing and you need to be executed when it's going badly as well so you need a lot of confidence if you're not confident you can't really pull the trigger when you need to and then um, what I'm doing now at the minute is like working with one of our former students that uh, joined the uh, coaching roster as well Uh, he's called Ultegra on PokerStars you guys probably know him. And um, yeah, he's not not saying he's my coach, but we're working very closely together. We're looking a bit past the solution. Uh, we're looking like what's actually happening in the spot and how people are approaching the spot. And uh, we, we're not looking so much at Pyo anymore. We're just like trying to figure to understand the game better, right? To understand the spot better. How is this spot played out? Not trying to copy the sim, but actually, what are human beings doing in the spot? And then, uh, yeah, this is what we are working on at the minute. And then, obviously, if it's like uh, opponents that you play over and over again, we go into the database and we're looking for some flaws in um, their strategical approach as well. And um, yeah, this is what I'm doing at the minute. Like, also playing a little bit against Lucid, but. Yeah, it's always a bit hard to get something out. It's nice to see what the bot is doing. It's nice to see what Lucid is doing. And you see some new lines that he is taking. And then you could think like, can I implement this in the game? Does this really make sense? And then we're talking it through. And if yes, we're trying to implement it. And um, yeah, this is the work that I'm doing at the minute.
0: It was interesting. You, I, I, I heard you say this uh, a couple, like 10 minutes ago or something. And now you mentioned again, the confidence. I think you really get confidence in your ability to approve. I think you said something earlier like, yeah, and I will do it again. And I will improve again, just like I did before. Uh, How how has that impacted your career in terms of swinging in confidence? People can get thrown off uh, when things aren't going well. You mentioned a hundred buy and downswing. If you know how to find the solutions, right? And if you're confident in your ability to continuously approve Uh, improve does that help you stay confident even in moments of downswing because you're less you get confidence a bit less from your results but more from your work ethic
2: exactly exactly you just need to because if you stop doing this you all of a sudden you're living in chaos like everything is chaos right it's going badly at the tables you're not improving and you're you're coming to the table and you're already a bit confused you're already not feeling your best and like having this like continuous like work ethic or like study ethic or like trying to improve and trying to improve that there's something that gives you like hope and chaos, right? Or at least you know when I do this, this is something I can control. This is something I'm in charge of, right? The other things, the variance that's happening at the table, this is not what I'm in charge of, and don't have to like spend too much energy with that. But I can really focus on my improvement. I can really focus on the study or like on my ana- analysis of the session I've played before, and then go from there. And then. After years and years, you know, it's a cycle, right? There's like after spring, there's summer. After summer, there's autumn. After autumn, there's winter. And it's the same with poker, right? You have a downswing, but it will only last so long. And then you have to make sure that it's going to be like a very short downswing because you keep on improving. And also when you're having an upswing, don't get over excited or don't get lazy. Like continue to work, continue to work because you know the downswing will be coming. And If you're playing overconfident all the time, you'll be playing too many hands and you're taking too many risks and you'll be like, yeah you will be a bit like yeah you'll make lousy decisions in a sense as well because you think you you've understood it all but um so yeah it's like really important like when things are going bad to have something to stick to and like in poker it would be like studying but also outside of poker like at least have something that you can measure right go to the gym three times a week you can have an influence on that and you see your body improve like eat healthy to lose weight have a meaningful relation a relationship on the side like have something that is stable that you can stick to when you're standing in the storm basically right yeah, I think yeah. That's, that's very helpful because it's fine to have chaos and it's fine to live in chaos and it's important to manage to live in chaos and to be fine with it for some time but if chaos just becomes chaos and you are the chaos and everything is chaos like nothing good is going to happen from this you need something you can really stick to and you can really uh, look forward to, even though things are going badly at the tables because of the downswing.
0: Yeah, focus on the things you can control and get confidence out of uh, that you're executing all the things that you can control, that you're reviewing your hands consistently, that you're trying to get better. Uh, Very, very, very good advice there. Uh, Also, I think if you're in a downswing and you're just hoping for the downswing to end, right? And then the downswing ends and you're in an upswing, you automatically oh now it's nice again the necessity kind of drops you fall in bad patterns uh, I think this is definitely things that some of the listeners can relate to and I think throughout your career you know you you start to see that focusing more on the things that you have control over uh, is gonna make you a happier person uh, overall. I w- yeah. Adam, yes. I,
2: because you only have so and so much, you have so so much energy, right? Your energy is limited, and if you like keep on focusing on the things you can't control, and you spend time and energy with it, you have less energy for the things that you're actually in charge of, right? And then I noticed that me getting older, I needed to cut out a lot of things, or I needed to change my mindset in a sense that I let go of these things, or like I don't worry about these things that I have control of, like. Um, Uh, I spent off the tables as well. I spent a lot of time on social media a few years ago. And then all of a sudden I noticed I spent like four hours on Instagram uh, five years ago. And then I calculated, this is like eight and a half days a year, eight and a half days in a year. This is like 30 to 40 books you can read or it's like 210 or 220 gym sessions that you can do. And then I was asking myself, or or you can study like poker in these like I eight and a half days and then see how much of a player you become. And I was asking myself, what do you want? Do you want to browse through Instagram, get nothing out of it besides subconsciously get becoming unhappy? Or do you really want to make that space, create that energy, create that time to put it in something that makes sense to you? And uh yeah, I think in the past, in the past few years, I've been really good at like cutting out things that don't serve me. And for me, it was like a big thing it was like social media. And just like deleted everything and uh, yeah all of a sudden had some space had some energy because i'm getting older as well right i'm not 22 anymore i don't have unlimited energy i can't sit here every day 16 hours and grind and grind and grind like my energy is limited as well and so i have to make sure uh, i use it very purposeful
0: Yeah, and you, you, for, for the, in order to realize that Instagram is a waste of time, you do need a certain purpose, right? You need a certain goal. If your goal is to become the best poker player, and indeed you calculated that eight and a half hours, eight and a half days of your years is wasted on Instagram, you're like, hmm, is this contributing to my long term goal? Probably not. I should probably spend time on, you know, some of the suggestions that you gave, uh, studying, doing exercise and stuff like that. Uh, Adam, I hear a lot of, uh, stoic mentalities in julian i think this is definitely a characteristic of successful poker players
1: i agree yeah first of all it's been really good listening to you guys speak i think julian's got a lot of wisdom on developing work ethic on building that life balance and on not glamorizing the poker pursuit it's literally a a game of working hard getting better and Drive to get better, you've talked about a few times, and always been in training, 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 and learning. I think once you've got that built into your kind of mental blueprints of, I'm getting better, I'm improving, and you find a way to uh, orchestrate your days around learning, improving, and getting better, yes, it might take you a while to get to your goals, but you're always in progression, you're always moving towards those outcomes, and eventually you'll get there. The only obstacle in the way is. Time and your application. So yeah, this conversation has been super refreshing for me to listen from the outside. I think Julian's perspectives that he's learned the hard way in the battle. I always like I always like experienced sh- sh- learning when someone learns a kind of a principle for how to live a life based on hard work and the going through t- tough times. And Julian's like a really good model for that. And yeah, the stoic principles of controlling the controllable variables. I like something you said, hope in the chaos. I love that. I wrote that one down. <laughs> where basically, poker is chaotic and there's chips flying around money flying around you've got your confidence and mental game that's often goes with that and sometimes it feels like there's nothing to hold on to but on the flip side if we could just move away from the external results we've got a lot of things that we can hold on to we've got a lot of controllable variables and the way you have been speaking, you've almost mastered how to show up day after day every single day you're thinking what i need to execute on you're eliminating things that are wasting your time and yeah you found a way to get more and more of yourself and it's a work in progress like some players will be starting completely in the chaos and their life's a complete mess and you need to start building some some foundations around that. Other guys are doing pretty well, but they're still wasting a day or two of the air on Twitch or YouTube or something that's not given the value. So uh, as you get higher and higher up the chain and you have either less energy to give or you've got you want to get bigger goals, you've got to get more, better, better, cutting the things that are taking up your time. So uh, yeah, I really like that you're, first of all, controlling the control of variables, but also stripping away things that are eaten into your days. And I like the, almost like uh, analysis you did where you were comparing how you can spend that time to other things. I think that's yeah. a really good kind of lesson because poker players are really good at logical thinking and comparison. So if we go, oh, eight and a half days, I could have spent eight and a half days doing X, Y, Z things instead, it gives a good kind like, of Harrison, should I be doing this or should I not? So yeah, really, really good stuff. And yeah, really, really enjoyed the conversation so far. I did have some questions on work ethic, but to be honest, you guys have done a a masterclass in that one so far. (laughs) So I wanted to take a different angle and I want to go into your family environment when you started out in poker. So you mentioned that your mum didn't speak to you for close to three quarters of a year after you started poker, but your dad was quite supportive. So talk us through that dynamic when you started poker, were you playing at home and how did the family dynamics impact your early career?
2: Yeah, so uh, basically, like it happened, um, we had a day off school the other
1: day and then uh, we went to the gas
2: station with our mopeds and we bought a crate of beer and then one guy said, yeah, I have a set of poker at home. And um, yeah, so we played poker there and we somehow got hooked with like nobody had an idea what's going on, but this turned into like a regular round and we were playing like uh twice a week for like five or ten euros like a cash game or like a quick sit and go and stuff like that and then I was like continuously winning in that and then I gave online poker a shot obviously this is now the short story of it and then back and forth like deposited 100 bucks like double it up and then withdraw the 100 bucks so I was even and then I like, tried to gamble it up but eventually I discovered poker strategy and learned about uh bankroll management and then I, I made my way up so uh, I left my parents house because I told them I wanted to study so I moved to a different city with all my friends from home. Went uh, like I went to three lectures and I realized like I, I can't be I can't be asked with that I was so hooked with poker anyways and um, yeah so I started to play poker and then it was like. Half a year gone, and then my mom was calling me and she asked me, so are you already practicing for your exams? Because it's exam time soon. I said, Oh yeah, no, mom, by the way, I'm a professional poker player now. Not obviously no idea what I was talking about. And uh yeah, I quit the studies, and I'm gonna play poker now full time. And then she basically handed over the phone to my dad, and then it was like radio silence for like three quarters of a year. And my dad was like, I said, Yeah, I'm gonna make supernova uh elite this year, or like or like supernova this year, I'm gonna win hundred K, I'm gonna travel the world. And he was like, Oh, this sounds good, have fun. And um, so yeah, at the beginning, my environment wasn't very supportive. Um, Like, um, not speaking to my mom for three quarters of a year. I mean, I didn't care that much uh, at that time. But looking back at it now, I can understand it a little bit as well, right? Because your parents want the best for you. And they want, want you to be safe. But then they also kind of want you to live the life that they have lived in a sense. And it's just not happening because you're a different generation and uh, everything being online now, everything being digital and so fast. i just like, I couldn't live the life that my parents wanted me to live. Uh, I think she has realized it by now, uh, she, she was here like last weekend uh, and uh, we had a pretty good time and she's not very happy with it. But I can I can see why parents are concerned because like gambling or like poker comes with something like also some negative notions, I would say like the addiction behind it or, I don't know people sitting there drinking whiskey playing cards all night long and like all these like shady environments and i don't know it's obviously not a nice spot for for your parents but um yeah in the end i always like i've always done my own thing and i didn't really care too much and just like kept on going and then, yeah, my friends were like, yeah, some of them were like fine with it. And some of them were obviously like not close friends, but like distant people that, you know, I think they they took it, but inside, I think they were hoping that one day I will be like, okay, I'm bust, I'm broke, I'm doing something else. They like, were hoping for me to not succeed. Back in the day, this gave me a lot of motivation and this gave me a lot of energy. Nowadays, uh, I don't care about these people anymore. I just like focus on myself. But back in the days, this gave me like a lot of drive as well. And I was like, I will prove you wrong and I will prove you that I'm right and that I will make it. And that definitely happened at the beginning. But now it's obviously whatever a person thinks of me is fine. Like it's a, it's a free country. We are like, it's free speech. Everybody has an opinion on something. And if you, even if you're doing nothing in life, right, people will also have an opinion on you. So people will be always a bit judging no matter what you do. And it's fine for me, like at this point for sure.
1: Yeah, I think it's really good to uh, acknowledge when you go your own path, you're gonna have some supporters cheering you on, but most of the time you're gonna have a lot of people doubting you, maybe not rooting against you directly, but it's like they don't mind seeing you fail, especially if you're doing something like poker where it can be classed as like a completely different avenue. If you succeed in that, it almost makes people feel bad about their life choices. When you're going yeah. down that path, you are like, fall over, go broke. Don't make it work. Why are you in Vegas for? Why are you doing fun stuff? Come back and join us again. So uh, I think when you go your own path, it's very very difficult because i think we spend a lot of time as we're younger building conformity around us building a good social structure trying to fit in do what makes us feel comfortable in our environments then all of a sudden we go "Wait a second me and my two friends decided that we're going to be poker pros and we're going this way and everyone around you is like trying to drag you back into the the kind of conventional lines and you're like i'm gonna make it work but at the same time you're completely bullshitting because you have no clue if you're going to make it work all you know is I like this game, I've got half a chance, Let, let's go for it. See, I think these, these are like hard dynamics and I, I've spoke with many players on this topic who can't get past that obstacle. Their parents, they kind of pull on their arms saying don't do this, it's too much for them to take. Their friends doing other things and wanting them to join in and poker, not fit into their social circle. Some players are like, I can't break free of that thing. i break free of my social circle. See, I think it's really good to acknowledge like, are you the type of person who wants to go their own way? If you do, you've got to acknowledge it's going to be quite lonely at first, but almost always especially your scenarios i think it's a good example after enough time has passed and you've proven to yourself and everyone around you that you've got this covered you're good at what you do people generally the main people in your life will warm to the idea and think, like, oh awesome good good job i'm glad you were one of the brave people who did what you wanted with your life so uh, even though you might not like, get that validation instantly very often the good relationships get uh, cemented later down the line uh, but yeah you can't be in a rush to, to get that so yeah i like i like a lot of the things you are saying there in terms of on your own path and not worried about the haters and people rooting against you so i just want to touch quickly on you said some people were hoping for you to fail were there specific people in your kind of circle who were kind of rooting against you or was that just like a, a general term in terms of some people who you thought might not want you to succeed
2: i come from a very small like i grew up on a village and i i come from a, like a, eventually i moved to the city but the city was just like Sixty thousand people right so everybody's living in like their small circles and then i was going out uh like like two or three times per week uh to the like bars and nightclubs and stuff and like people heard the story right and then like in small uh i think in like small environments or like small cities there are people they're talking a lot behind their back there's a lot of talk and talk and talk because there's not so much going on so people what are they doing they're like talking about other people's lives so it was more like distant people like people that are just like know that like from clubbing or like from going to bars and they heard the story and they like kind of were in this mindset of like. yeah, He's going to fail eventually poker is gambling there's no strategy behind it or he's crazy and look at this guy like what has he done with his life and. yeah let's give it a few more years and then he will back here with us and we will be once laughing but yeah again like at this point that was like really this was giving me a lot of a lot of energy for sure
1: yeah i like that i like you're using that as a fuel source because I, I think yeah. fuel source can be both from positive and kind of negative angles we can, negative yeah we can be like inspired to achieve things or to uh to get us in life outcomes or we can use the fuel of the negativity around us people rooting against us people yeah thinking that we're going to fail as energy to fuel us i think both are good and at certain times of your life you want to use both as a fuel source where other people might be uh almost like take that negative energy on board a bit. Like, All right, people are rooting against me. This feels too much. I'm going to fail. Yeah, I like that. It's almost like fueling your furnace your, your of um, motivation going forward. So I want to touch on the career path for you, right? So 12 years. Imagine you're starting your poker career again from day one. You almost like go sat nav and you plug in the sat nav. 12 years. Yeah, let's go. Cool. Let's get started. 12 years. What were some of the first obstacles that you hit on that 12-year journey that made you maybe doubt that poker was going to be a good choice for you or the right choice for you? I think like a first starting spot because like even back in the days people always said we only have one more year in
2: poker like everybody's gonna become so good in poker we only have one more year right and then it was i think it was april 2011 all of a sudden they cut off the us from the global uh, from the global poker environment and then all of a sudden a big pool especially a big pool of recreational players was gone and then all of a sudden it was a bit dry and then you were thinking oh god like people are getting so good at this game like how can I compete or like how, how can this ever be fruitful or how can you make money from it in the future? Um, but, um, yeah, still like with the current developments, uh, especially being able to play like on ACR, for example, where you can play on like a global pool or like the, like the lockdowns were also like really good for poker because everybody started playing, started playing poker again. Uh, this this was very helpful and obviously like the rise and like, the um yeah the rise of crypto like being uh, uh crypto being like a thing that like more and more people are using so everybody has more access and can deposit more money quicker and can withdraw money bigger like this was like a big factor of course that, that that's giving a lot of like comfort and a lot of hope for the future and then uh one thing i was discussing with some friends at some point was like i always was afraid of like the young guy that's coming and trying to take my spot like because you have it in football right i mean Cristiano Ronaldo's 37 and he's still there, but like it's only a matter of time until he can't play anymore because there's this new young guy who's fresher, who has more energy and who's just like biologically just younger. Um, but I think in poker, luckily, it's not the case that much anymore because when you look at 20 year People or like 20 year old guys uh, at this point, they they're, they're not sitting there and saying, yeah, I'm, I'm going to become a professional poker player. They want to become like a Twitch streamer. They want to become YouTuber. They want to become like an Instagrammer. They want to become like an yeah, influencer. They want to become a crypto trader. Like I think there are, there are not too many people like pushing for my spot right now, and not too many people like trying to take take me off the game. So. This was also something uh that was like quite comforting in a sense, and it that also like creates like a lot of e v for the future, I think because I always thought like the time was limited or I'm getting so old that I can't do it anymore, that somehow mentally I can't take it anymore, maybe it's like so consuming that at some point you're just like becoming worse, and I was always afraid of that, but I think since I noticed that when I continue to improve myself and when I continue improve my normal life as well when I continue to like kind of like eat healthy kind of go to the gym do some sports improve improve my mentality I can also keep on improving in poker and there's no there's no deadline to it I mean there will be maybe at 45 50 but maybe not and maybe at some point I want to do something different as well maybe I see a bigger opportunity or something that's more fun or maybe something that's more rewarding or maybe it's something even working more with uh, with people instead of playing against people uh maybe there's something in the future like that, so but at least I want to keep the option open to do it as long as i want it, want to do it, and as long as i'm really good at what I'm doing because I also don't want to become worse than I am now, like uh because becoming worse um it's not like a really it's, it's not a nice feeling, right, and you know you could do better, and then all of a sudden you're getting crushed at the tables again, and people are getting better, so um yeah, as long as I can stay on top or like at least on top of the games that i'm playing, uh I want to definitely pursue it as long as I can, as long as I, I see a point in it and as long as I enjoy it.
1: It sounds like the fear of maybe poker not being around for a long time and maybe people catching up with you, especially early in your career, was fueling you in this work ethic we've talked about. You put more time in because you're like, wait a second. I'm not getting any younger. There's a limited time to make money and I need to make the most of it. And yeah, I think yeah. you coming from a sports background, i was similar from a sports background, it instills this mindset that getting to the top is one thing, but staying there is harder. There's always someone hungrier training in the in the Alps somewhere or training in the cold. He's ready to get your spot. And when you get at the top and you're comfortable, he's going to be training, waiting to take your, your spot. I think it's really apparent in sports like boxing where you'll often see someone become the champion and then the champion loses to an underdog. It's very hard for the champion to stay a champion like year after year after year, there's like maybe five or six guys in the history of boxing. I've done that because there's a new hungry guy who wants your spot more than you want to keep it. So uh, it builds this mentality of like, I've got to fend off the younger generation. So I think it's a good thing because I think poker is very similar to sport. It's very competitive. There is somebody who wants your spot. There is a kid sitting there in Poland or Belarus who's we're studying these arse off right now who wants to be one of the best players and you've got to be in your toes to make sure right, i'm keeping keep progressing you've got a really good start in him and if you can keep progressing in a similar pace he's going to struggle to catch up but there is this element of especially in the high stakes games that you do need to keep keep progressing and keep your spot and as you've touched on one of the worst things as a human the feeling of going backwards regressing yeah, was- of one of the things i'm starting to really get come to terms with i'm 34 now i'll be going into my my mid-30s, 40s, that's kind of the time when you notice physical drop-offs like in the gym with performance physically and you've almost got to accept that you can't match some things you could do in your mid-20s, early-20s. Yeah. Recovery takes a bit longer and you're like, damn, this is like, I'm regressing in this area. But you've got to accept those areas. But at the same time, there's so many things that you can be progressing with. You can train smarter. You can do things in a better way. You've got so much life experience, which allows you to not make as many mistakes and waste as much energy as the younger guys do. So it's kind of like a trade-off balance. Like you said, maybe mid-40s, 50s, the young guys overtake everyone and say, all right, GG, I had a good run. But yeah, I think it's good to uh, be thinking in those terms of how can I stay on top? How can I keep my edge and driving to get better?
2: Yeah, I really like what you said. It's like, it's maybe it's hard to get to the top, but staying on top, like, this is what's really it's really difficult, right? Like staying like at the world-class level at a master level for years and years and years of like getting older. And then you always have to reinvent yourself as well, right? You have to keep on doing things smarter because uh, yeah, either your mentally capacity or your body, you just can't lift the weights with uh, the same way it's like you did when you were 25, but you have to find new ways to train and new ways to stay in shape. For example, at the gym and the same as in poker, you just have to like keep on going, like go new ways and be more effective than use your experience. And also, yeah, of course, like a, like a bigger role and stuff like that. As the younger guys are all more comfortable sitting there. And like I'm fine with losing stacks at my at the stake that he's taking a shot off, and he's not really comfortable with. So that that like certain things to it, but um, yeah. The, I like, really like what you said like getting to the top is one thing but staying at the top this is really difficult and then there's a guy because you mentioned boxing right there's a guy like Tyson Fury who was at the top and then all of a sudden got depressed got drug addicted but then coming back from this and becoming a world champion I think of almost all promotions now or like being the number one boxer in the world right now this is something this is the people I like really look up to and this is like where I pay like my biggest respect and chapeau Head down, this is uh respect because I know how it is and I know how difficult it is like to drag yourself out of a mud, to drag yourself off this like deep, deep hole of like addiction and like depression in a sense, and then come back to world class. This is next to nothing for sure.
1: Yeah, Tyson Fury, what a guy. He yeah, so has yeah. a history basically become world champion, conquered the world, and then went into a big state of depression, taken drugs, got his boxing license stripped from him, gained incredible to of weight if you type in Tyson Fury overweight pictures it's incredible to think this guy's the the world heavyweight champion but then he, he went basically off the grid for a number of years and people doubted if he's going to kill himself or go off the rails and then comes back with a fresh motivation first of all to lose the weight and then to start challenging for the world titles again and then yeah. wins them all and then just beats everyone for the next few years so yeah amazing story in terms of I think he's a really good advocate for mental health but also overcoming yourself and like you said to climb the mountain once is impressive to go so far into the hole, back to zero, and then climb it again, is almost ridiculous. Uh, Amazing story. I get a lot of inspiration from the sports characters who can defy the odds, and do it in a way that they're, if I put Tyson Fury's done a really good job of helping others as well, like helping people with mental health, be very open about depression, and. The, the trials and tribulations between athlete and the pressure you have to deal with. So uh, I think he's in the stage that you're in as well, where yes, he's performing at the highest level, but he's looking at ways, how can I give back with what I'm doing? How can I start to be a role model to uh, those coming below me, which I think is like the the ultimate end point to be. So yeah, really, really good stuff. All right, I wanna go into uh, a section we talked about earlier, when basically, so the kind of model I'm getting of you over, overall is someone who's driven to get better, you're definitely high work ethic, and you're always improving and striving to get better. Then there was a point in your career where you talked about when you were stuck at mid stakes, that time when you had the 100 buy-in kind of downswing, you you mentioned like maybe your win rate wasn't very good, you were struggling to progress during that phase, like pre-solvers, so I want to dive into that phase of your life and what was different then, what was happening, why do you feel like during that phase you weren't this driven person, Yeah, what were some of the obstacles you were facing during that period? Yeah, I think
2: I was like personally on a level I wasn't in a really good spot.
1: Uh, I wasn't really reflected.
2: Um, I just like broke up uh, with one of my girlfriends and then I, it's getting a good personal, but I guess it's fine. So I broke up with her and uh, usually whenever I had something with a girl back in the past, I could, there was always a chance for me to come back. And then she was the first girl that rejected me and I didn't hear anything from her anymore. But like I really wanted to be together with her at this point. And so like I had this mental, mental trauma that I had to go through. And then I had the poker drama that I had to go through. And all of a sudden, when you're at the bottom, when you're like really scattered to pieces, all of a sudden, especially guys, they start reflecting about their situation because until this point, I thought I was the good, I thought I was the good friend. I thought I was the, like the good partner in a relationship. I thought I was the good son. I thought I was the really, really good poker player. And I was like really arrogant overall and very egoistic and narcissistic in a, in a sense. But then all of a sudden, like this, like these two things coming together at some point and hitting hitting me personally like a brick wall. This like really helped uh, for me to like reflect and like going through this like hard like one and a half years of like hopelessness and chaos and going to bed crying, waking up crying, like looking at the ceiling for two hours. And what am I gonna do? I'm just gonna sit at the table again and get ruined, like getting smashed again by the other guys. And then, yeah, to start reflect and then all of a sudden I came to the conclusion, yeah, maybe Julian, you're not the great poker player, maybe you're not the great partner in the relationship, maybe you're not the great son, maybe you're not the great friend that you thought you were. And then I started working on that, like I was reading a lot of books, um, started meditating, but it was basically just like reading and getting more knowledge about it. Uh, that helped me to come back and then obviously I realized I didn't put in the work for poker that I needed to put in to succeed at these stakes. And... Um, yeah I went from there and I basically yeah I maybe had this little tyson fury moment where or like this tyson fury yeah yeah experience where I was good or like I was decent or at least I thought I was decent and then I came into this like big big hole but as but I realized I need to put in some work and I need to keep on improving to yeah to track myself out of it or I need to do something completely different, but for me it was like very important to. come back and like to prove myself that i can do it because proving myself in this this also shows me that whatever happens in life if i get into the next sort of next big problems happening or there's chaos around the corner i'll find a way i'll find a way to to drag myself out of the mud and like overcome it and then basically succeed or like see life through a different lens no matter no matter what it is yeah
1: it's very interesting how often some of that seems unrelated can have a very big impact on so your performance as a poker player. So yeah. you were talking very holistically there. And it sounds like the breakdown in the relationship was a real big like moment where it's like where everything started crumbling and you started to have to look deeper and deeper into yourself to come out the other side. Yeah. Uh, so for you, like when you had to do that, so you almost have this kind of point where you're breaking down a little bit where i think you're questioning who you are you're questioning your role to the people around you the relationship that you put time into hasn't worked out and you start to look into that those kind of insecure parts of yourself what were some of the things you found what were some things you saw because i think this is really important because when you do this kind of type of work it is really difficult like when you look at your kind of feelings as a human and you have to yeah. you, you you reflect on that. You go into uh, almost like the operating system of who you are, and you see some things you don't like. It's really hard not to turn away and go, "Okay, let's busy myself doing something else." To so yourself. Yeah. Is there anything you could Share where you went into uh, some insecurities yourself.
2: Yeah, I think the, the most important thing I started meditation at this point, and uh, I heard about meditation. A lot of people are recommending it, and like like it was swapping over to you. I mean, it's probably like a, like a bigger thing for a longer time. Um, but I think meditation really helped me in that sense, because you have this like 10, like a first start of like five minutes a day and you sit there and you have some instructions as well, but already just like sitting there five minutes of like being quiet or like trying to be in a meditative or focused state is already quite, quite hard. But then you get to like a 10 minute session, then you do 15 minutes and 20 minutes. And then it became like, for me, it became normal to sit down for 20 minutes and just not think about anything, just like take a step back from everything and uh have like this calming calming like soothing experience i would say and that kind of helped me as well to basically take a step back from my normal life or for like from the things how they were take a step back and see them from like a like a bird view for uh, yeah as an example you, you just Uh, watch yourself from like a bird view and then all of a sudden you see these things that are not working out and all of a sudden you're like ah okay i'll take a step back here i take a minute to breathe and I, i give the the little chaos or like the little things that are running through your head i give them a little break and all of a sudden you can see clearly and then when you can see clearly when your mind is calm you can see what's going wrong and all of a sudden i saw okay you didn't put in the time as a poker player you were also not this great guy in your relationship and i figured out okay i needed to work on this and then i'm just like was looking through books on the internet and I basically, yeah, I was reading a lot of books at this time and there was so much wisdom in it. And I took this over in my normal life and uh, it really, really it was like really, really helpful. But it was also good that it happened at such an early, early stage, right? Because a lot of people, I don't like, some will get there late, some probably will get there never. But if you had like this big crisis at a young age and you learn from it and you know what, what's been going wrong and you, you, you learn your lessons from it and you keep on improving from it, I think uh, this is like really, really helpful. For the rest of your life and then in the end we are only learning from our bad experience or like from tough times these are building the character and these make a person to the person that he is right now right because if you never had like any discomfort if you never had like a- any real bad times where you're struggling and where you didn't know how tomorrow is going to be how a, a year from now is going to look like uh i think it's quite a bit be- i think it's a very good experience to have had and then again if you drag yourself out of this or you find ways to get out of this to improve
1: all of a sudden there's there's a new life waiting for you. At least that was my my experience for sure. Thank you for sharing that and going so deep with that. That'd be very helpful for the audience. And yeah, I think meditation is a great tool that almost everyone should have some form of meditative practice. If you don't meditate, per se, you should have some form of practice that allows you uh, exactly what Julian said, to be the observer, the observer of your thoughts and the process of the mind, which is often very active, also observing emotions. And when you do get good at that game, it doesn't take overly long, but it's just a consistent practice. Like we talked about consistency training over and over. You get to the point where you realize there's a lot of chaos going on and there's lots of ways you're showing up in life, which aren't in alignment with where you want to go. And when you can just be the observer, watching yourself get caught up in all the dramas and all the things that are going on, you can start to go, wait a second, I've got control. I can actually choose my actions. So uh, yeah, I think it's a really important progression as a human to go through, to realize we don't need to be robotic caught in the chaos. We can spend time still in the mind, becoming the observer of the mind and watching the thoughts and emotions come up. And when we do that, we build this kind of awareness of what's actually going on. And that gives us the opportunity to make changes. So for you, you saw that you weren't spending enough time on poker. You were probably wasting energy on things that weren't important to you. And all of a sudden, these are like very fixable things. It's like, I'm not showing up. And very often, we're not thinking that way. We're blaming people. We're blaming situations. We're saying, oh, well, I can't do this because of this excuse. In reality, we're not still enough to observe and go actually i can do a lot better than this and i can show it in a better way so yeah really really big and that's like i think the evolution of a human should be going yeah. down this path and like i said different different phases different people some people watching this or listening to this will be resonating deeply going yes I'm, I'm exploring this myself others will be going get away from me i want to go back into pocket strategy stop talking about such yeah. deep concepts but yeah i think it's really good i think you talk about building character through uh, the tough times which i think is really important and I think a really amazing skill, which takes a long time to develop, is the the perspective to realize as you're going through tough times that you're going to come out the other side stronger. I think some people who develop perspective skills are good at reflecting back. They look back in time ago, ah, yeah, that six months was really good because I learned this skill. But in the midst of a real challenging scenario, whether it's a divorce, a downswing, something some really bad in your personal life, to realize, ah, even though this hurts right now, this is building my character. I'm growing for this. I'm going to come out the other side of it. I don't know when. I don't know how it's going to unfold, but I will be a better version of me once this ends at some point. So uh, yeah, I think building that into uh, uh, your character traits is a, is a really big one
2: yeah and it's also important as you just mentioned that you see that you are always part of the problem right like every problem that's occurring to you it's not an external source it might be an external source but you always have a little bit of influence to it right it's kind of a loser mindset to say oh yeah i can't do this because of this and that i don't know what's a good example for it uh i don't have a good example now but if you see yourself as part of the problem you can actually take action you're in charge It's when you're always saying oh I can't do this because of this external source all the politicians they are charging so many taxes like I can't live my best life like half of my salary is gone through taxes and you have this kind of like loser mindset but when you realize you're in ch- like you're at least 50% or like when your relationship right whenever there's a problem with you are at least 50% of this problem and then you have to realize that it's not the other person's fault always, right? And that it might be just even more of your fault. And then when you realize that, and you can,
1: yeah, you have something to grab onto and you have something something to, to work towards. Yeah, it's like taking ownership of the situation. And it's I think except. sometimes we've got to accept that there is lots of factors in play, but it's the most empowering to say, I'm to blame. I'm in control of this. As soon as you start blaming external other people, you relinquish the opportunity to be able to fix it. Imagine like yeah. everything that's gone bad in your yeah. life is because of somebody else. You best befriend that person very quickly because they hold the keys to your life. On the flip side, like everything's gone badly and it's my fault. That stings a lot first. You gotta like acknowledge that and come to terms with it. But now it's like, well, it's me who's messing up. I can fix it. All right, at least I'm in control here. Let's get started. Let's get a plan going. So yeah. uh, I think it's, it's a, a definitely a point where I speak with players all the time. And, like I can see players looking for that escape blaming someone but me, blaming situations but me. Then there's other players who are like, yep, I need to do better. I'm not showing up, I own it. And those players who own their kind of shortcomings are always the ones who make the fastest progress because they've acknowledged that there's things that they can improve, they focus on those variables and yeah, lo and behold, things often get better.
0: I have some big news, my fellow ambitious poker players, because the doors to our mechanics of poker program are closing. They are closing because behind the scenes, we have been working hard on the 2.0 version of the mechanics, which next to more content also will include more personal attention and a more exclusive community, which means that we will only take on a small group of players who fit the profile. This means that right now is your last chance to guarantee a seat in one of the most complete poker coaching programs out there which will help you break free from low to mid stakes and help you reach high stakes poker games. Throughout the month of July, we are running our first and most likely last promotion ever, a 25% off closing sale on the Mechanics of Poker program. And if you enroll now, you will get lifetime access to all the updates, including all the goodness that is coming up in the Mechanics of Poker 2.0. So grab this opportunity before the doors are closed and let us help you realize your poker goals. Go over to pokerambition.com to enroll. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode.
1: Uh, so René, yourself, reflecting, have you been through any moments yourself where you've had to almost put a pause on poker or look deeply and reflect on on your own, maybe shortcomings throughout your career?
0: Uh, um, Many times, (laughs) (laughs) for sure, Uh, for sure, many times. Uh, Even though I guess it helped that Or in one way, it helped that I was always leaning towards being underconfident, which I think helps because you automatically sort of assume that it's your shortcomings, which, you know, it's a whole nother problem in itself. But in this case, that would really help. Like I would just always assume that I wasn't good enough or that it was uh, certain things. For example, uh, you could say, Trauma that I developed since little, no one really expected a lot of me. And I noticed throughout my career that that has really holding me back because I wasn't really prepared to have a certain amount of success. And then when I suddenly did have a certain amount of success, I, there was like almost a disconnection in my brain, like, wait, you were not made to be as successful as you are now. So it was really hard for me to believe that reality at some point. And then I was almost trying to get away from that reality because I figured It's just a matter of time before the real reality, which is going to say that I'm not good enough, is going to turn around the corner. So I've had my fair share of experiences. And I think poker, especially because how fast you can make progress in your career, right? Some other people, they get to a job, it takes five years to to reach a certain promotion, then another five years. But in poker, you can have all that experience within a couple of years. And I think with the obstacles, like Julian also said, if you then overcome those and use those as ways to improve yourself and develop yourself, I think poker can be such a rewarding profession in terms of growing as a person. I think there's also something that Julian said, sooner or later, you will get confronted with your shortcomings, your limiting beliefs, your quote, unquote traumas. And I think the way poker is, it gets you confronted with it quite fast, right? And that is an opportunity, in my opinion, because better, it's like Junior like said, better now than later, right? I wanted to touch on a couple of points that you mentioned, that it's very hard for some people to accept, indeed, you were mentioning, you thought you were maybe way better than you are actually were. And usually the ego likes to get in the way of that reflective moment, right? But when the pain is that great, and there's... There's no one else to blame but you. It's like, okay, I guess I'm the problem. But it's really hard to to admit yourself. But I do think it's necessary in order to make progress that you're like, okay, I've been doing these things wrong, and that's okay, right? And I, I think many players will struggle to accept that. For example, in the past, they did something wrong. And we usually prefer to hold on to that instead of changing, because if we would change, then we're kind of have to admit to ourselves that we did it wrong in the past and that we wasted multiple, uh, multiple years doing something wrong or believing something that was actually not true. Uh, so it's very important. It's okay. You, you are not perfect. You didn't do it in an optimal way. And that's okay. I believe that you always try to do your best with the information you have at that moment, right? You're not on purposely making bad decisions, It's just that you know maybe you didn't have the knowledge that you have now to make a better decision at that moment and therefore you made a wrong decision, but you don't do it on purpose. So again, I think, and we touched on the point of empathy throughout other podcasts as well, being empathetic towards yourself, I think is very important in order to be able to grow as a poker player. Anything you would like to add to that, Julian?
2: Wise words, wise words. You summarized it uh, quite well, I have to say.
0: I mean, yeah, like I said, it's the opportunity that uh being a poker player can offer you yeah. if 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 you try to take your job serious and try to constantly improve. Uh and for example, we're also for example, when I play, we're talking about being the observer. I always try to remind myself before playing, I always have a note file open that I try to observe myself if certain feelings come up or if I'm overreacting or if I'm choking, right? We talked about the blackouts. Yeah, I know I write that down. And what that does it already creates some distance between actually you experiencing the motion and me observing uh, it 's almost like i 'm Renee, and the wacko is going to play, and renee is going to observe yeah. the wacko playing right that makes yeah. dealing with bad bad runs at the table way more easy it's like, "Oh wow, the wacko really flipped out of this at this moment yeah. interesting why why is it getting triggered like that and it really helps you distance so you can continue your session in a more rational way right it, you're, you're I think in meditation, they often give the example, it's the difference between you standing under the cold waterfall or you looking at someone standing underneath the cold waterfall. It's a completely different experience.
2: Yeah, it's also good to take these kind of notes, right? In general, like even if it's in focus or just in life, because we have so many thoughts on a day, I don't know, you have like 10 or 20,000 thoughts on a day and they're all like coming in, they're coming out, but like putting the things that are really like grinding on your gears, that are grinding on your mind, putting them down on paper, and then, like really reflecting about them is like it's like a very important thing to do because if you don't write them down, it's just another thought that comes in and it goes out, and you're like, oh yeah, that's important, I should be thinking about it. But then, are these like other twenty thousand thoughts on a day that come in and you forget about it? So, like actually, like journaling and like writing down what's on your mind, and then take some time to like work on that or to reflect on it. This is like really really helpful uh, in general as well. I would say.
0: Yeah, I always say that every session is an opportunity to get to know yourself better. So yeah, you're yeah. gathering information about how you respond to certain situations. You're getting information about, hey, this is a spot that I'm not really uh really aware of because you know I don't really know what to do. Constant information that you can use to get better in the future, right? And then for example, especially when it comes down to mental game, you take Uh, you start to see certain patterns like, hey, I keep feeling in a certain way, in a certain scenario, or keep reacting to a certain spot uh, in a certain way. And what you do then, you grab that information, you sit down, you grab a piece of paper, and you say, okay, I feel anxiety around performing at you know, taking a shot at a higher stake. Okay, start from there. We have anxiety. This is what I'm feeling. What comes up? And just start writing down. And at some point, you start to make like, hey, you start to make links between uh, between certain things that you're feeling and certain things that you've experienced before and this is information that you need in order to improve right julian already touched on this it's very important to constantly be improving and for that we need information and i feel like a lot of players they miss on that information every session you play has so much information to offer you uh that you can improve on
2: yeah for sure that's um it's it's important to really like uh, face your problems as well or like to face the things on your mind because like a lot of people I think that they're going into a with of a mindset oh yeah there's this problem, maybe I just like push it to the side and I push it away and then maybe it's it's not going to come up again, but whenever there's something on your mind and you're not facing it and you're not really working with it and you're not trying to get it straight the problem under, like, the monster underneath the rug is just, like, growing and growing, and if you let it there, stay there and grow, it comes back even bigger, and then that's one problem, right, and then if you have, because we always have many things on our minds, so like, many little problems, and if you have many little problems, like, growing over weeks and weeks, and you never face them, all of a sudden you will be just, like, in an ocean of problems, and your whole life and everything is just a problem, right, and uh, so it's, like, really important to, like, face these kind of things, like, in poker as well, like, um, yeah, for like, practice like go into whatever like look at the session that you have played and like see your flaws and see what you're doing wrong and like really face and not be like ah no that was just variance or that was just the guy just got lucky or something like like see it for what it is and then uh like try to fix it and again if there's something on your mind as well like try to fix the problems that you have with your friends or try to fix the problems that you have in your mind as well because that also will translate into poker right if, if you get it go into a session you have problems with your best friend or you have a problem with your girlfriend or whatever there is with your family if, if you're going into a session with like all these other problems yeah you, you will not perform your best right you will not have a good session you will just like have, take over the problems from your normal life into your poker life as well and then vice versa as well then you're getting crushed at the tables and all of a sudden you let these emotions out to your girlfriend that you're already having uh, other problems with right and all of a sudden the chaos is waiting. So that's what I always say to everyone. And I see this a lot with friends. I said, face your problems. Right? I've been there. I've not done it. I've avoided problems. And I've been into this like deep, deep, dark hole. And it's like really hard to get out of this. But if you just continuously work on your problems and if you face them, or if there's something on your mind with your partner or girlfriend, it's like, say it out immediately because most of the time the problem is also just in our head. But right? and you speak about it with your friend, you speak about it with your girlfriend or wife, and then all of a sudden she's like, yeah, but that isn't a problem. Right, like, we can just do it like that. And then it's fixed, right? But you overthink it and it keeps on growing and everything is just chaos, chaos, chaos again. So. That's definitely, uh, definitely a good point or definitely something to take away from here.
0: Yeah, sure. I definitely have that bad habit as well that I like to think, for example, I have to say something to a person, but before I actually said it, I already had a complete dialogue in my head, like, yeah. oh yeah, but I'm gonna do this. And then he's gonna say this and then this. And then basically because of the dialogue you had in your head, you didn't even want to have the conversation. That's only building up more anxiety. You're putting it off. Whereas in truth, usually if you just have the conversation it doesn't we cannot mind treat the other person right he can respond in a way that you didn't foresee Uh, i think in relationships this is this is exactly the same
2: Uh, And, and yeah everybody has a different perception of life right everybody's perceiving things differently sometimes you think that everybody's like on the same level but people are on like so many different levels and uh, it's important to to realize that that as well, because I always thought everybody's thinking like I am, but like the best example is, it's a, it's 25 degrees outside, the sun is shining, and I go out and I say, that's a beautiful day, that's my favorite temperature, I really like it, and there's another person says, oh, it's way too hot here, I like it when it's 18 degrees and a bit cloudy or something like that, so who's right or who's wrong, and everybody's perceiving everything different, and uh, accepting this, and accepting that people have different perceptions than your own perceptions, this is also like, quite a helpful thing and then you're more understandable and you respect other people's opinions as well as when you think oh no this person's not thinking the same way as i am oh it must be wrong this person must be wrong or this is wrong this is wrong it's just we're all living a different life and we're all like went through different things and it made us to the person that we are uh today right so
0: it's, it's
2: important to be open to that
0: wise words i wanted to go back to uh you living in the u k in a grind house, I think you mentioned you were living with other players was well um, What do you think is the value of living together with other poker players we you covered a little bit of the downside, right your your sort of life work balance kind of went out of the door, yeah. so there was too much poker, but I assume there were also a lot of upsides yeah.
2: So, so nowadays I'm like now living by myself for a year. And then for the last four years, I was only living with Stefan DCC Nesik, it was just the two of us. Uh, but he was also like half of the year gone. He was in Amsterdam. And then before that we had like this big grand house. So when I came here from like 2015 to 2017, we had this big grand house. We first were three poker players and then we were five poker players. Um, one of the benefits is just like you're living poker. Right. And at this point, like I didn't really care too much about the social life I didn't read. maybe looking back I should have had more balance but you're just living poker right you it's like every day it's just like poker like a lot of the topics like even like when when the tables are closed it's just like you're discussing strategy and you have always somebody like a good player to talk to and you get different opinions from different players as well we're all like playing like different stakes but there was always somebody like giving in a good input and then you could ask multiple people and then you could create your best opinion out of these people's opinions and then you it, then you can go actually make very good decisions for yourself so like definitely the benefit was like uh like i was playing like mid at this point but i was living with d7 donald and he was like playing 5k heads up and stuff he was playing 10k he was playing really big games and i could take away a lot from him and then all the other guys there was even if they were also just playing mid six everybody always knew something that you didn't know and it was just like a big learning experience it was very extreme And there was very little time for other things. There was no time for like, uh, for like a intimate relationship or like for a girlfriend or something like this wouldn't be possible. Like I tried, but it's impossible when you're in this environment. But then on the other side, if you want to be successful in it, you have to make some sacrifice as well. And you have to go a bit extreme, I would say. Uh, it's, It's at a certain point in your career. And it's probably like at the beginning of the career when you have to go a little bit extreme and leave other things on the side to get where you want to be. And uh, yeah, that was definitely like the best thing, just like living with other players, like discussing strategy nonstop and also seeing somebody play, you're like, okay, let's play as well, right, because if everybody's lazy, if everybody's just sitting on the couch watching TV, you will be sitting on the couch as well, but we played, so we also played different schedules and then they were playing through the night, I came in, in the morning, you were still playing and the next thing you do, you just sit down, you play as well, so that was quite helpful, we established like really good relationships. And uh, we're still all like very tight friends and like good friends. And uh, yeah, we're seeing each other a few times a year and still in touch for sure. And nowadays it's obviously, yeah, I'm living by myself now since almost a year. And yeah, just the communication goes through Skype, Discord, right? I'm speaking to uh, to my team or like to Al- to both Alex's um, that are the coaches as well. And uh, we're doing everything basically online. So poker is also like the other business, right? Everybody went from going to the office to, to having your meetings and strategic uh, sitting You just do it, everything online, everything's just like
0: through Skype and like, um, yeah. It, but still it's, uh, I've, I've noticed as well, like there, there's just this thing, if you live together with a poker player or if you share an office with poker players, it's, you know, you pass by, it's like, hey, hey, I have a couple of hands. Can you, can, can you quickly give yeah. some feedback on it? It's way more spontaneous. Whereas if you have to plan everything in a sense, it's definitely less effective. It can, be, yeah. it can be still effective, but you won't get that same feel as if you yeah. live together with poker players. True. You know, you're just, ah, let's grab a lunch. And then suddenly, you know, a big idea pops up. I'm sure you had a couple of big aha moments. You also mentioned D7 was definitely playing way higher than you. When I was uh, living in my first poker house, uh, there was FMI Life who was playing 5K, 10K, I mean, yeah. and I was playing 200 NL. So obviously you're like, okay, wow, this is, this, this, is, this is of a whole nother level. Uh, yeah. What were some of the aha moments that maybe D7 or especially in the beginning when you joined the the grind house that that stuck by you?
2: I think there were so many aha moments because I was just I was just average, right? I was selecting my tables while I was bomb hunting quite hard, and I wasn't really good at the I wasn't really good at the de- uh, at the game, especially the pre-solver era. And uh, just seeing them play, seeing how they approach sessions, seeing how they study, or for me, seeing that they study at all, right, because I wasn't really studying, like in the days, like that was quite helpful. And then uh, Donald, like I remember, he was like very,
1: he was very organized
2: as well. He was like a very organized human being. And he also, like you mentioned, he had a notebook next to his table and he was writing things down during the session. He was writing down. What he ever he has experienced in the session and then he was reflecting on it and then he was working on it and then obviously he got out by himself and he was going through the spots um that he has played in the session and then like seeing this and like seeing how this guy is doing things that really 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 helped myself for then. He was just like a, like watching me for a session and then we were talking about the things that I'm doing and the things that I'm doing wrong, that I'm not aggressive in some spots. Uh, he's like, yeah, you can push my equity here, you can be more aggressive here and this guy's doing that. And that was quite quite eye-opening for me as well. Just like seeing how the better players or the guys that are playing higher stakes, what their habits are and how they're operating uh, this is like quite helpful especially when you're playing lower stakes if you have somebody to look up to and then you can take over their real life habits as well like what are they eating what kind of books are they reading are they doing sports and then most of the time the quality answer is always yes right they will be eating uh quite healthy they will be doing sports quite regularly like they will have like a certain schedule they won't be like playing all night and then like sleeping until like 2 p.m like there, there's there's a there's quite a bit of structure in these like successful people's lives i would say
0: Okay, yeah, Then in, in this, you also have to be sort of, let's call it lucky to be in the right environment, right? Where you have yeah. people who indeed took it so professional. Because I remember uh, me me and Brian Scarface VLT, we were looking at, at F My Life. And, you know, the kid was uh, 17 even back then when he was playing 5K. Uh, and we were, with some things, we were like, wow. He's not doing that. So we don't have to do that either. He was definitely, he was definitely raw talent. You know, there was less of, a, I wouldn't call him very organized uh, planned. It was just randomly, okay, we all sit down to play now. Okay, let's go play. You understand? there wasn't yeah. really a lot of organization. So actually we often used it as an excuse, like, oh, the better player doesn't do that. So we don't have to do it either, which I actually had to go then through some experience where I was like, wait, but I am not like F my life, right? I am different. So I have to find what works for me. Did you experience anything similar to that, that you were trying to copy maybe certain habits of people around you in the house that you were like, "Mm, but I just don't really work like that. That doesn't work for me
2: yeah i mean i saw like i saw him doing these things and i I still like didn't take them over and like i still got away with it but my win rate wasn't great and then i was still reflecting i was obviously obviously i'm not a donald like he's way smarter than me he's way more grounded than me he comes from a different background so i realized i'm not donald but if i want to get to the level that he's playing i probably have to take over like certain habits of him but at the same moment realizing you're not Donald and you you you're not going to become one-on-one like him right you you can't be a copycat and just like fake it till you make it yes I took over his good habits but uh like at some like I was I was myself as well right you have to realize that you are a certain way and that you can't change it, but you can like take over like little things from from all the other people that you're looking up to, and then create your own best self. Right? It's also that what's the point in like trying to be someone else or like trying to be like the idol that you're having? Yes, you can take over the habits, or yes, you can take over their work ethic or their skills, or you can take their advice. But you can, you have to come to your own conclusion, and you have to make things in a way that you are comfortable with, that that you enjoy the way you're living or the way you're like I don't know playing poker. Uh, uh, yeah that's what i would say
0: you mentioned that at that point your win rate wasn't really uh, that great what changed that do you still remember when your win rate started to go up and what was the sort of flipping point for you
2: yeah, the flipping point was definitely, I was also like, I was smoking weed a lot at, uh, at this point, and uh, yeah, I realized I need to, I need to stop smoking weed as well, because you sit there and then you're playing a little bit baked, you're a little bit too lazy for like studying, so the first big thing was to, yeah, to quit weed. Uh, to quit beat for good and this like definitely definitely helped me a lot and then just realizing that like I used PIO like once or twice a week and I was still not very good at the game I didn't understand how the solver works and how everything works and then just like realizing that the other guys that are playing the games that I want to play they are probably grinding PIO every day right they are probably They're doing the preparations and they're taking them one or two hours a day to get better. And I was just sitting there and I, I thought I could just like grind it out or like the downswing will be over. So I wasn't really thinking of a solution. I just like tried to keep on doing what I was doing before. And that didn't really serve me. So I had to come up uh yeah with like new solutions. And then in the end. It's, it's like doing the things that you don't like to get where you want to be, right? Because still to that day, it's not like I'm really excited to to look at my hands or not to prepare my session or to, to study a lot. Because I like playing more and I like being yeah, in the games and just like play and be competitive. But to be competitive, you just need to practice, right?
0: You started pre-Silver age, just like me. Uh, I'm sure when solvers first came out, you were probably also a little bit skeptical. You were you yeah. also named yourself way more as an exploitative player. What were some mistakes you made when starting to use solvers in the beginning?
2: Yeah, looking back, obviously, just like copying the solution, or let's say you played a session and then you're still like in the session and you haven't wind down and just open up Pyosolver, you fire up the sim, and then you just look for for the hand that you've played, right? If you've been a spot, you had a screen of spades, and then it gets the river and you call and all in and you just look in the server. Okay, a screen of spades, yeah, it's a call, you okay i did Well that was like one of the biggest problems. Just like not understanding, uh understanding the solutions or like not like really looking from both sides, like what are my value bets? Where are the bluffs coming from from this opponent to make this A screen of spades call on the river a profitable call? And then if you don't really analyzing the the simulation and just like clicking through quickly. Um, yeah, you will just like, you will not learn anything. Like, you have like this this short-term satisfaction of like, okay, I've played this hand well, but you don't know why you've played it well. Or maybe you haven't played it well because your opponent doesn't find all the bluffs that 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 Pyro will be finding, right? Like this is something definitely to analyze the simulation, not that just like clicking through quickly and, and just get to get to the river and see if your call or your bluff was a good uh, call or bluff, like see both sides and then see where bluffs are coming from and then think about if population or if your opponent... Because you know your opponent, if he's a bit more aggressive, he will have more bluffs. If he's a bit more passive, he will have less bluffs. And then think about population. Will population find all these kind of bluffs that Pio is doing here to make this like a two BB winner on the river, right? This is something very important to not just copy the simulation, but also understand where why why it's in a certain way and why is this called profitable or why is this bluff profitable and like spend some time and it's probably good to take on either like another suit like uh your studying partner or your coach or something and go through it together because i always feel like when you go through simulations especially together you'll come to better so- solutions and you will actually like dig a bit deeper and then you will hear somebody else's opinion maybe you have a misconception as well while studying and then uh yeah you have a misconception you take this over to your strategy and you do this mistake over and over again at the tables and then it's going wrong so like Uh, like having a studying partner or somebody you can like on a day-to-day basis really study with I think that that's quite helpful as well because doing everything by yourself I know Linus did it for the most part of his career He, he just like made it by himself but I think for a lot of people it's quite helpful to have somebody who's like on the same path right who's like there every day and it also like uh, keeps up the motivation the accountability right and then you just like do it together and then when you have a downswing you have a downswing together when you have an upswing you have an upswing together right you're sharing your experience and you're sharing your moments as well and it just like keeps you going and it doesn't need necessarily needs to be a guy that's playing the same level like you can also like let's say if I play 2k I can study with a guy who's playing 500 zoom and he will have like he will know things better than i know you always have to expect that the guy that's sitting uh in front of you like knows some knows more than you do that. it's not really depending on the stakes always right
0: yeah we all have our strong sides and our weak sides yeah. and this yeah. goes for everyone probably you know if you're the higher stakes player you have a higher win rate on average you will give a bit more information to him But without giving that information to him, you will not have received the information that he will give to you, right? So that's usually how you have to see it, I think, in a study relationship when it comes down to poker. Yeah. Um, Any big aha moments from the solver? Yeah, you you learned how to not use it. Do you still remember a moment where it's like, wow, oh my God.
2: Yeah. This is amazing. This will be definitely one advice that I would give to everybody is like to keep keep the strategy simple, right? Not give yourself like three sizings on every street and don't try to mimic the solver in a sense that you think you can play these three different notes perfectly balanced, right? Because if you're doing this, you're probably uh, you're just like exploiting yourself and you're looking down at your hand. And then if you give yourself like three sizings you will probably always give like make like put the sizing in play that your hand will, would want to do. So uh, yeah, for people who are new to the PIO or new to studying probably like keep the strategy simple on flops and turns and then on the river start splitting sizings. And uh, yeah, don't put in like three different sizes and five different race sizes, and then click through and say, yeah, you see PIO is raising this ex- extremely big size for like 2% of the time I raised it here in this spot. So I didn't make a mistake. So like keep it simple. And then, because the game is so complex and has so many different situations, right? And then you have single race spots from all the positions and you have three bed pods, you have four-bed pods, and you play heads up. And then when you give too many variables into the solver, you're just getting confused because we're not a computer, and you're also not playing against the computer. So keep the strategy relatively simple and understand your strategy, and then if you get at a very good level, then maybe implement a- few more sizings on certain streets but it's very complicated and I think even at the highest level even at these like 10-20k rack battles um, they, they start to multi-size now but even then on a bad day I think even the best are giving away a lot of things uh, in certain spots so for like everybody who's playing mid stakes or i don't know 500 1k 2k like keep it simple and don't try to imitate the solver and like really understand your simple strategy and just like play it and then when you get to an even better level then you can make variations and then you can get become a little bit funky and you start leading and you start implementing smaller and bigger sizes and you freestyle a little bit more but first like stick to something you can control. That's relatively simple, but I mean it's already not relative. It's relatively complex already. But keep it simple. That would be my advice. Like don't put in ten thousand sizing. Just keep it easy until you're at the point where you can actually where you understand what's going on, where you understand the solver, where you understand your opponent, where you understand the spot, how the spot is played out, and then you can make it complex again. But first, make it easy. It's not like that. The best players like they're or like the people that are on their way to the top that they did something crazy. They they kept their strategy simple and uh, they were sticking to it. And then at some point when they were at this master level, then that's what, when they started to to make it more complex. But yeah, like when you're building a house, right? you don't start to build the roof, you first need to, you need to start building the fundament of it. And then at the end, you're building the roof and then you can get a little bit crazy and funky and take these sneaky lines and stuff.
0: Yeah, I don't think we should make things more complex than necessary. And definitely yeah. if, for example, you want to use a three sizing split just because Pio says to use a three sizing split, but you don't understand it, I think that's where it goes wrong. Yeah. I'm actually yeah. personally a big fan of looking at sims with multiple sizings because you can suddenly see that, hey, I think it's, it's a common misconception that, for example, when a solver only 5% uh, wants to bet big, for example, on a certain flop, a certain turn, I think it's a bit misconception to just, I'll be like, oh, it's 5%, so it's not there. Because sometimes there's a couple of hands that specifically want to bet that sizing. And in there, in my opinion, is actually a great opportunity to learn like, hey, interesting. So overall, this is not really a thing, but what are the characteristics of this spot with this hand that leads it to want to bet big? And in there, I think is a great opportunity to learn. And if you learn that concept, then you can... Uh, if you're playing, you know, that spot, you don't have to find a big size. But if intuitively you're like, hey, this is that hand that it makes a lot of sense with, let's throw it out. But the problem is when you start to expect yourself to execute a three sizing spit perfectly, it shouldn't be, that shouldn't be the expectation. But if in game it comes up, I don't think we should limit ourselves to a simplified strategy. Do you, do you agree with that?
2: It's It's depending. It's depending also like first, if you're confusing yourself with it, uh, then it's probably not a good thing. And then, second, you also have to think about if your opponents are noticing it all of a sudden, because if you play against the best, they will notice like certain things like certain notions and all of a sudden he went, he did this 5% note, but then he only had the nuts, right? Uh, I guess if you're playing against good opponents, you also need to be balancing it. If you're playing like big pools, if you play like mistakes, I think then you can be a bit more exploitable and just like use this big sizing and not be balanced with it at all. And just like use it with your with your good hands, for example. But then at, at a certain level, like people will notice when you're unbalanced in these kind of spots of course you can make it complex but I think for the beginning of uh, for like learning I think keeping it simple is good and then later on make it a bit more complex but I said if you play against the best you better have to be balanced in that node as well because they will notice and they will be very observant, observative if you're playing uh, in like a if you're playing 100 zoom on stars and there are like 300 or 200 players in there like who cares like nobody will notice they're all playing four tables of zoom nobody will like change like see it change in your sizing patterns for example and then there will be such a big influx of fish or recreational players that it doesn't really matter in the end Like it's one thing playing good against uh professionals but then there's the other thing also like playing good against fish like this is also another another level or not like another strategic level that you have to be good at because i also saw a lot of students and a lot of people they they are like they play the hand against the fish and they're putting it into pion and like, they're trying to come. Oh my <laughs> trying God. to they're trying to come to an answer. I don't know if it's clunky. <laughs> it wasn't clunky. was RNGing against recreational as well. And, uh, to me, it didn't make too much sense, and I think it's a big, big misconception.
0: Yeah, then you don't really understand why a solver RNGs if you start yeah. RNGing against <laughs> RNGing the recreational, against or you're just like, I don't want to make a decision. Let's give it to the RNG.
2: RNG, yeah. Uh, I hear this many many times these days people are always blaming the RNG and you know, like you, you stack somebody that you know then you get a message on Skype and he said oh you can you're so lucky my RNG was one and I was like so you're giving away your best judgment to like something you have no control of? I mean it's good to do it but you also have like you have to have a good strategy with your RNG right if you're just using your RNG to like um, to to try to not have like a difficult decision and just like put it into the numbers then I don't think it's a good thing, but if you're having like a proper RNG strategy and you're playing against an opponent where you have to actually RNG, then it's good. But for me personally, I uh, I don't use an RNG. I always say I am the RNG and uh, I just make my decision intuitively.
0: So I think there's, uh, especially you, it's, it's because it's interesting because the advice that you gave simplified and in the questionnaire, we usually give people uh, some 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 options and you could choose between I prefer simplified strategies, or I use a complex arsenal of lines and sizings, whatever comes up to me at the moment, I'll do. And you actually went for that side, but you were talking mainly as advice, right? That you should start simply, and you can do this because you understand how a solver generates EV in certain lines. So intuitively, it makes way more sense to you to sometimes take an alternative line than the simplified strategy, correct?
2: Yeah, yeah, for sure exactly like and that, that advice for like keeping it simple that was just for everybody listening who like is trying to climb up the stakes who has maybe not this like deep understanding of a solver, who hasn't that deep understanding of the spots, at the beginning again, keep it simple like. At my level, maybe then you have to go past the solution and then you have to go different ways and then you have to do some exploitative stuff as well against certain opponents. But this is my level as well. Like I'm not playing like the top 20 level or top 15 level where where it's actually the best in the world, just competing without fish. Like I'm not at this level as well. So I know I can do some exploitative stuff. And I can have lines where I'll always only have nuts and I cannot will have lines where I'll be only bluffing, for example, or like where where my strategy will be not balanced for sure. But I'm aware of that. And it's always important to be aware of these things, right? If you're doing something out of the line, be aware of it because. If you're not aware of it, then all of a sudden it becomes your habit as well. All of a sudden you're taking this line, you're not aware that you're exploiting and then in the end you're just exploiting yourself. So it's important to always be transparent and to see what you're doing and know, okay, this is not an exploit. I'm doing this because of this and this reason and then it's fine. But if you're just like doing it automatically, you're playing your ABC, you're playing on autopilot. Uh, then all of a sudden, like, you do these exploits, like, left and right, and all of a sudden, your whole game becomes an exploit, and in the end, you're not exploiting everyone but yourself,
0: right? Yeah, and I think it's also interesting as, you know, I would blame myself more of a fellow exploitative player. Uh, you are sort of, you end up being balanced because the pool is made up of different profiles. So, instead of RNGing a hand, you would sometimes always bet, or sometimes always check a hand, versus a specific profile. So in the end, your own stats will appear to be, quote, quote, balanced. However, you're very unbalanced against a certain individual, but you do that because his leaks allow you to take a very exploitive line, which is clearly higher in EV, right? Yeah. Which is then very hard for me, who plays against Julian, who just, let's say, I play against you and it's just see your average stats and like, looks fine. But I don't know because you will adjust certain hands that are close yeah. based on how I play. So then the next level would be, okay, based on how I play, how would Julian then make the adjustment? And, you know, when I was playing a lot of battles, 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 this is definitely stuff that you have to take in consideration. But to be honest, uh, I think I'm pretty good at that stuff. And with the majority of the players, especially if you don't focus in on a specific player, you don't really know exactly what's going on. Yeah. So then I think we should also be honest to ourselves, like okay, should I really use that RNG just for the sake of being balanced against this particular opponent? Probably not. What people often do wrong and what you definitely shouldn't do, and I think this is also something that Julian pointed out, if you then, for example, in a 5% big spot, use the big sizing, you have to definitely look, like I said, in some spots, it makes of sense for value, but then the bluffs are less intuitive, which could open you up for an imbalance and other people could just hero fold against you. Or people start to invent a sizing in a spot that doesn't really exist. And you, you probably can relate to this as well. Sometimes see player uses size in a spot where I know this is not really a thing. And when that happens, you can ask the question like, hmm, it's not really a thing here. Would you be more inclined to da- size down or size up with value or plus? Yeah. And that's then where, you know, especially players, you and me, we have a lot of experience. That's definitely where you can start exploding your opponents. And that's where I think being unbalanced can really hurt you
2: yeah yeah also like with the stats and stuff i don't dig too deep into it like i have my baseline like like the pilot like the pilot the strategy like the simulator i look into a few stats it's like women's off flop and one showed showdown and then I look at people's like red and blue line and then i uh, look at their crashing frequencies so on flop turns and move and their vpip and pfr and i basically draw my conclusions from them so this is like my my baseline to to analyze an opponent or like in like a bigger field like obviously if it's like a wreck battle as you said then you have to dig a bit deeper and you really have to look and like Three bet spots and the percentages and et cetera and the frequencies and everything. But if it's just like you bring you playing in a broader pool. Like I only look at the W, like women's soft flop, one showdown, way to showdown, then they are crashing frequencies and then I categorize. Okay, he's tight, so he won't be over bluffing me in this spot. Okay, this guy's loose. Uh, I have to call here sometimes. So like this is this could be the spot where should or can where you can use an angie so this guy is over bluffing in this certain spot and i have a good bluff catcher here and then i look at the profile of the player again i said okay he's like his aggression frequency on the river is way too high his VPIP is quite high his free bet is quite high and his red line is winning so he's fighting for pots so i will call this player down. Here more often as opposed to when the guy has a 23v pip and this woman's off is 46 right and he's finding this huge size on the river and he's going all in a spot where it's hard to have like natural bluffs and where you have to have a lot of uh unintuitive plus and i really have a strong hand but i would still fold my strong hand because the guy just never bluffs. Right? the guy's playing 12 hours of poker every day he's bum hunting he's playing multiple tables And uh, he doesn't have a high win rate, so I'm not going to call down these guys for stacks, for example. This is the adjustments that I'm doing in-game.
0: Yeah, you have to realize that that guy is not there to take your money. That guy is there to (laughs) take money (laughs) against the fish, and he happens to get into a pot with the nuts against you.
2: Yeah, yeah, of course, of course. Don't call down the tight guy.
0: So, yeah, this is indeed a very easy way to boost your win rate. Label the... You know, I really like the one with the flop stat as well for the people who don't know what it is. It basically, I mean, it says it—it says in the statistic how often you win the pot when you see a flop. The higher the number, the more you fight for pots, the lower the number, the less you fight for pots. It's simple as that. So you can expect a higher one with a flop player to fight back at you more often. It's not completely black and white that he is now on the river over bluffing. Obviously, it's way more nuanced, but I think while a lot of players, especially in bigger pools, do wrong, they will add way more stats to their HUD. First of all, they will have sample size issues and then they will start to see and then they will start to look at specific spots in in the flop. But I think especially early on in your career, you're then missing the point. I think you should just focus on playing solid yourself, right? That's already hard enough at earlier states in your career. And then just use the stats that I think Julian suggested. I think they were perfect to kind of label, okay, this guy is a bit more passive. This guy is a bit more aggressive to help you make better decisions on your bluff catchers. And then with the aggression, especially in terms of Where should my EV come from? Oh, this guy's very aggressive. So let him bluff. But this guy's very passive. So I probably have to do the betting myself. I think from an exploitive perspective, I think this is probably the way to go when you're still playing at a at a lower Mm -hmm. level.
2: Yeah, and then the next thing is like understanding the spot, understand, understanding the board and the ranges. So even if the guy has a women's offlop flop of 51, right? Let's say an easy example, it comes like king, queen, jack 10, right? And it breaks out and then he's betting and over betting and jamming. You have a nine, for example, or something like that. This is a spot where even the guy with the 53 women's off flop doesn't have a bluff, right? And then understanding this and then understanding like all the different boards, how they play out and where bluffs are actually coming from uh yeah, that's way more this. important
0: that's yeah. way more important
2: yeah 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 this is the next thing but first like take take these few uh take these few stats and go from there categorize passive type passive and then and then you see okay on the river he's too aggressive i have to call him on the river he's too passive he's only betting top pair last so i can poke my bluff catcher even in pile or in the, in, an, in an ideal world uh it would be like a call or like an indifferent call or something like that
0: yeah, we'll leave that uh, RNG river calls up to the to the top ten in the world, spelling <laughs> it out against each other. Uh, you you mentioned that you know your advice is to not give so much complex strategies. You're a coach yourself as well. You do a CP together with Stefan. When you uh, when you teach poker, what are some characteristics you see in certain students that makes you makes you think it's more likely that they will succeed? And what are some tells you have on the students that will most probably not succeed in your experience
2: it's most of the time it's their initiative and um, the time they're spending studying by themselves or like taking the initiative and the responsibility for themselves because i think a lot of guys out there they're thinking they're joining a cfp with like good coaches and a good community and i think that's already enough to get them to like a one k and a 2k level but i think in the end this is just like this is like a mentorship this is like a support you still have to put in your own house you still have to take the initiative and uh a study by yourself or like find a studying power like take a fellow student and use him uh for studying on a regular basis like because you, you only have like one or two one-on-one sessions if at all in a week but that's not enough to get you to where you want to get if you want to become an NL1 care, a 2k regular you still have to put in a lot of work by yourself and then while you're doing your own work and while you're doing your own initiative, you would have questions, right? And then you write down these questions and then when you have a one-on-one session with your coach, you ask these questions, but you always, always, and our most successful students, they, they were just like taking care of themselves. They had the initiative, they had the drive. They were, asked, like, they were asking me nonstop questions on Skype and I was always replying. So, but it has to come from the student, like trying to push somebody through these like one or two years or whatever the contract length is. Um, won't work out. Like the initiative has to come from them, the drive and the ambition to make it has to come from them. And then you're standing there with your best advice, right? And then they can come to you and you will give them your best advice or in worst case, your best guess. But there's always somebody they can speak to and always like a supportive person, uh, very close to them, like a mentor. And then, uh, but yeah, in the end, it has to come from them. Like I can't push somebody through the two years. And even if I would do it after these two years, what is this person going to do, right? Because he's not... He's not really self-sufficient he's just relying on an external source but yeah in the end it's uh, it's that's the initiative and it's to realize that I, you have to even if you're on a cfp you have to spend a lot of time by yourself uh like yeah grinding pio like trying to understand spots like trying to improve and uh, understanding the game better and then when you when you come up with questions there that's when you ask your coach and, that's, and then actually if you write down questions and you make a session out of these questions or out of these hand histories for example then it's actually becoming a really good session like a really uh a good session where, where you learn things from where you take things from and it's not like oh shit i have a session in an hour with my coach i here like 10 hands i've lost 10 big pots i've lost and then you look at like 10 coolers and that there's no good question in it and another thing is ask the right questions like ask a good question, for example, when I speak to Linus or when I speak to Marcus, I make sure this question is on point because you also can't spend these guys with stupid questions because at some point that they also don't have the time and they also like nobody wants to reply to the stupid question. That's if you think about it by yourself, if you take the time by yourself that you can answer yourself. So like write down good questions like ask good questions and don't be too specific about a hand or a spot or ask about like spots that are coming up more often. I think business, this, uh, this is very important.
0: Yeah, especially don't waste time on hand, like for example, your post session, there are certain hands you can figure out by yourself, right? You can yeah. take a look at the solver. It's like, oh, yeah. interesting. I didn't realize the spot played like this or, oh, I will look up my, my the, some data. Oh yeah, this clearly spot where population is under bluff and over bluff, so I should call more, fold less, whatever. And but sometimes there are still hands that, despite the solver, despite data, despite your experience, you still are like, yeah. But really, is it perceived like this? The solver does it, but I'm not really sure how this works in practice. That's a good hand to bring to a coaching session. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Else, else you're just uh, yeah. Let me look at the solver. Yeah, the solver does this. Okay. Yeah. Wasted your time. The quality of yeah. the quality that you get from a coach is very dependent on the quality that you put in yourself. For example, yeah. I remember when I did a lot of coaching sessions with Jared. <laughs> like I mentioned, I would always make notes while playing and I would bring all these notes to the session. And then we had actually had something to talk about. Right. And I think it's the same poker strategy wise. Uh, that's very important. You, you also mentioned that, um, you know, you, you like doing CFP type of coaching more than hourly coaching because you feel like it's more fulfilling. What do you think it, it, it gives you? compared to hourly coaching for example
2: yes yeah, so with so the hourly coaching i uh, was it was like in the end i, I can be transparent and honest about like hourly coaching was way more profitable uh the hourly was quite high uh, but just people just come to you they pay their money right you give them what they want they get what you want uh, they get what they want and then they're leaving again and then maybe they come back for a second or third session but uh in the end it wasn't really fulfilling because you didn't know the person and then also in the end how much can you teach somebody in three lessons right or like in five lessons and it's probably not too much so I felt like it was a little bit they didn't get the the biggest bang for their buck and I felt like it was the first time I realized money doesn't bring me happiness and then I basically canceled all like one-on-one sessions if I give a one-on-one session and it's like a friend of mine or something or somebody who's struggling I give it for free and uh, but the CFP is way more is way more fulfilling because you have this two-year contract and you get to know the person right and it's not only about the poker knowledge that you're giving back but it's also about like all you have experienced uh from life like i don't know if it's about like nutrition or books or dating or like dealing with your parents or i don't know investment advice like all the mistakes i've done in my life or all the mistakes i've done in my 33 years i can give back to someone i know this person is going to save time right it doesn't need to take the person doesn't doesn't need to take every advice but uh, like if you trust me and if you like if you okay this is a reliable person then take the advice and you will you will save you will save some time and in the end like that's what i noticed of getting older is like saving time and like using your time like purposefully purposefully or usefully. This is like a very big thing. I mean, when you're young, you feel like you have so many years left, and uh, everything is easy, everything is nice. But then you're getting older, you had your first like mental like kind of breakdown, like a tough time mentally. And then all of a sudden, your body also had so many problems with my body lately. And you realize, okay, you're a mortal human being and your time is limited. So yeah, in the end, it's about saving time and creating like a relationship with the person and like knowing something about the person and actually like seeing them succeed in a sense. And then in the best case scenario, what we did as well uh, with our two former students, they are now they became so good in these two years that we are now discussing the strategy together, right? They're they're kind of like coaching me in a sense, and they come up with new ideas and they have the, the energy, the drive, the power, and they 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 keep on pushing. And this that's also that's what's pushing me as well, their drive. And then we bring together their new ideas and my experience, and then out of this we can we can come to good uh conclusions for sure.
0: Yeah, that sounds familiar. I definitely have some students that will whoop my ass now.
2: Yeah, for sure, for sure. Like, not in every spot, but there will be spots that are playing, like, 100% better than I do. They have better knowledge than I do, for sure.
0: That doesn't mean you did a good job, right? We did a good job, for sure.
2: The other things that I'm doing better, I'm coping better with down swings i'm coping better with investments fail and stuff like that and all these things that are happening off the table that are grinding their gears uh, i can deal with those things better that also make like a big uh, impact on the table uh for sure as well but yeah technically in like certain spots they're definitely playing better than me and they're probably outplaying me when we face each other on the tables but it's fine it's like uh we did a good job and uh yeah, like it was actually like our our business model or like what we are doing is working and that's that's in the end this is like very fulfilling to see the money, of course, yes, but in the end, numbers numbers don't uh, really especially
0: happen. also if you if you just have a good hourly grinding yourself, right? Then I I remember also there was a phase where actually there was before I started to play coaching, when I was considering it, people would often say, Yeah, but your EV, fee, blah blah blah, so high. And it almost felt a little bit like okay, fuck, so now I'm a successful poker player, my EV, so I am not allowed to do anything else anymore because I cannot cannot justify it because my EV is too high. It's almost like a trap. Mm -hmm
2: yeah but you can also only play so so many hours of poker a day, right like um it's because your hourly will drop when you play like 16 hours a day or if you play like yes. six seven eight hours you'll have a high hourly but then if you spend something at, the, at like because it's like a similar thing coaching but right? it's still like in the same area it's not like you all of a sudden you start day trading or you start going out and like trying to run a completely different business it's like a similar thing and it also helps you to improve as well right because you also have to put an extra theoretical work and you have to prepare sessions and then uh, what 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 i'm struggling or like what's i think it's really difficult about coaching is to put your own thoughts uh into words to a guy who's like three or four levels below mm-hmm. you right to put your complex thoughts into like quite easy words like this is something i find like really challenging but like also just like expressing your thoughts putting them into understandable words i think that makes you understand the entire strategy or like the things that you're doing way 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 better and that's what's helping me and I obviously like the theoretical work i see more hands uh i see more spots i see more solutions than I, than I would be seeing if it was just for myself so that's that's also like very beneficial and you make sure you're staying on top because it's not only for you it's also for someone else right i mean you can fuck up your own life and it's whatever but if you're fucking up someone else's life it's it's a big responsibility so i have to make sure that every session that or like every session that i'm giving i try to i try to always like give my best and my best advice and try to really uh help the other person for sure
0: Yeah, because i know what I'd say. i'm
2: saying yeah i know what's at stake for them right because i've been there and i didn't have help and i know how difficult it is to make your way up and money is short bankroll is short you have expenses you have downswings and stuff like that so i know what they're going through and so i try to always like give my best when i do a session after like a coaching session of like an hour one hour 15 minutes also need a break i need to take like a one hour hour break it's like my head is spinning around like crazy but then you see also like you did something you did something challenging and it's challenging it's challenging in a way as well and i really enjoy it
0: yeah i think it's a very important skill you could say as a coach to be very relatable like you you it took you 12 years to get to high stakes for me uh, uh, as well i think it took like eight nine we went through a lot of struggles So whenever you have a student and he's dealing with something, you can say, hey, I dealt with that as well. (laughs) Go here, I'll give you some advice. Whereas maybe if you were a bit more, let's let's just call it talented for the sake and things went, because of that, you just have a natural uh, ability to be good at poker. Probably you will have a tougher time giving advice to struggling students because you cannot really relate to what they're experiencing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, you see them struggling and you know exactly what to tell them, you know exactly what they need. And this is why like, you feel like, I don't know, you feel like a father to their son. You're just like, you, I've been there and this is what you should do. And then either they take it and if they take it and you see it's working out, it's like very fulfilling. Sometimes they don't take it and they come back a few weeks later and then they ask the same thing and then I give the same advice and then they take it and then it's like, aha, uh-huh, okay, you were right again. And this is just like a nice thing to just like see them grow. And then when you can share somebody else's success, you can be happier more often, right? Because if you can only be happy about your own success, then you can only be happy so much. But if you can be happy about someone who's close to you or somebody you have a a good relationship to and you you can be really happy for them, if they're succeeding and all of a sudden it's like a lot of happiness around you as well, right? It's a hard point to get there because a lot of people are, oh, god, he won 50K today, I lost 20K today and then they're unhappy. But instead of that, you could be like happy for your friend who had like a big winning day. And then share his joy and then take it over to your life as well right so i think this is quite a nice thing
0: as well i think what's what's very important in order to to have this kind of experience right to be happy for someone instead of feeling envy is you need to have reached a certain level of success yourself Uh, i think that is probably mandatory to be able to say the things that you're currently saying right Yeah. And you have to
2: be content with yourself and you have to be in peace with yourself and uh, you you have to have just little problems on your mind. We always have some problems, but to be happy for someone else, you already have to be like almost like 100% with yourself. And it has to be uh, there shouldn't be like any major things on your mind because if there's major things on your mind you will be always thinking about the problems that you have on your mind but if you're if you're living in peace and if you're living in kind of like an equanimity and you you take life as it is and you can be happy with whatever happens or make the best whatever happens in a day and uh, then you can be happy for someone else but if you're struggling with yourself and if you're unhappy about this and if you're unhappy about that and there are so too many things your mind you're not at the spot where you can be happy for someone else or you're also not in a spot where you can take care of somebody else or where you can take care of a community you have to be at a very good place in your life but yeah you have to put in the work and you have to have to come to these realizations and like go through all these things to to get to this point but it's hard but yeah again then through poker because it's so fast living and we we played so much volume we had so many ups and downs over the last 10 or 12 years or whatever we've been there and i think like yeah i'm at a point I can give back a lot or where I can be happy for other people succeeding or get happiness from seeing my students succeed and like having their big successes and like getting to where they want uh, in life. this is quite quite a good thing to see very yeah.
0: very very good stuff. Adam, I'm sure I mean you have been a professional poker player before you switched full time uh, uh, coach. I think this also helps, right? That you can relate to the struggles of players. For example, shout out to Jared. Uh, What I sometimes miss with Jared is, you know, if you talk to a guy who's actually been there as well, who's been a professional poker player, then sometimes you feel a bit more of a click. I assume that this really also benefits in your coaching sessions.
1: Yeah, I'd say so for me personally. I'd rather speak from experience and being able to relate to problems that people are having gives you this kind of, you can put yourself in their shoes and understand what it was like. The reason I only work with poker players is because I understand them so much better than other people. by like going to entrepreneurship, day traders. I could probably give them good advice, but to be honest, I don't know their lives. I've never lived it. So uh, I haven't got that authentic experience of being them. But yeah, I think obviously you can get experts who are very, very skilled at their craft and they can give you that kind of, I view that we talked about earlier, that observer view without ever going for that experience. But other people going for the experience gives them that relatability that allows them to go, look, I've been through this problem myself, what you're going through, I've been there myself and this is what happened, I, I had to deal with this way. So yeah, I think both angles from a culture perspective can be effective. Personally, I like to teach through experience and things I've learned, and more so than concepts that I, I picked up somewhere else, but as a personal preference.
0: I have some big news, my fellow ambitious poker players, because the doors to our Mechanics of Poker program are closing. They are closing because behind the scenes we have been working hard on the 2.0 version of the Mechanics, which next to more content also will include more personal attention and a more exclusive community, which means that we will only take on a small group of players who fit the profile. This means that right now is your last chance to guarantee a seat in one of the most complete poker coaching programs out there, which will help you break free from low to mid stakes and help you reach high stakes poker games. Throughout the month of July, we are running our first and most likely last promotion ever. A 25% off closing sale on the Mechanics of Poker program. And if you enroll now, you will get lifetime access to all the updates, including all the goodness that is coming up in the Mechanics of Poker 2.0. So grab this opportunity before the doors are closed and let us help you realize your poker goals. Go over to PokerAmbition.com to enroll. But without further ado, let's get back to more goodness in this episode.
1: All right, a few things I want to go into. So I'm going to start with the first one, which is, it took you nine years to get to two Ks and 12 years to get to five Ks, roughly, based on the questionnaire. What would you have to do differently to get to your five Ks in six years? To half that time it took you to get to five Ks, what would you have to done differently?
2: It's mm, a good question. Yeah, probably that because I had these lazy periods as well, right? Like the periods where I, where I haven't studied, where I haven't been consistent, like looking back at it, cutting this out, like knowing that I have to be consistent with the strategy, uh, that would be good advice. And then again, have the money ready. Like I've played 5k many times and I also sold a lot of action, but still didn't have the role for it. Like uh, be comfortable of like losing, like set yourself like a, a win loss as well. Like if it's going really badly, Come back another time. Like go back, go back to the lower stake, make the money there. Like learn your lesson and then come back. But have the money, have the money ready. I think this is like the most important thing. And just like yeah, again, be being consistent. And there are other people there out there. that are smarter. They are fast learners. Like I'm not a fast learner. And I always have to learn through experiences. For example, like our uh, our two students, that they learned so much for us, so they didn't have to make their own. Like bad experience as well but i'm always the guy who's like thinks he knows it better and then i have to go through these bad experience by myself and it takes time to, to get to this point so um yeah in the end i would say it's like consistent work have the bank already like set yourself like a stop loss and then when you're losing too much then actually take a break take a step back look at the look at the mistakes you've made drop down stakes uh yeah regain confidence regain the money and then come back and take take
1: another shot but um yeah that would be my advice the lessons that you often need to learn the hard way by having experience of ups yeah. and downs however guys watching this you don't need to learn the hard way you can listen to the old wise people give you some advice That yeah being sensible with your bankroll is a yeah. good career move and it's one of those things that i think most poker players at some point are going to put themselves in situations that create financial stress. Maybe it's just not your fault, it's a downswing. But yeah, being mindful of your bankroll over and over throughout your career. Because I think what happens is players make progress and they get to a point where they're like, ah, bankroll stuff, fix that, I'm doing great now. And then they start shooting a higher stake and they give themselves uh, basically none of them for bankroll to shoot that or they put themselves under a short-term financial stress. And before you know it, you're back having to move down stakes, which has held back your progress a lot because... You didn't factor in some certain variables so yeah i think very good and then consistency which you've talked about throughout this conversation good work ethic and showing up over and over so in line with that what are some of the things you do on a daily basis to perform at your best what are some of the things that your daily habits that allow you to execute at a high level
2: yeah it's it's a lot of work life balance these days like i noticed, just like sitting in front of a computer all day and playing poker all day doesn't give me happiness and doesn't give me doesn't give me that piece that I need to play yeah at my stake so it's a lot of like uh, social stuff Uh, I got to know a lot of people here in the complex that I'm living and we're doing a lot of things in the evenings or just like going for a walk by myself being like physically active like going swimming going to the gym meeting friends going for dinners going for drinks and like doing new things as well like go to a place go to a restaurant or go to a museum you've never been before like travel to the city like get out of your Get out of your not not like comfort zone, but out of your like normal routine a little bit in a sense, and then all of a sudden because when you see something new, you're also i don't know you're you're more excited I don't know it's like it gives you like different type of energy and different type of impulses because if you're doing the same thing all over all over again, you're getting a little bit bored, so for me uh, to succeed at the minute is having this like strong, 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 uh, work life balance, having a social circle of people, like seeing people. And then also whatever happened at the table, like if you meet a friend and you go for a beer, like how much, like how hurtful is your big losing day afterwards? Right. And they will cheer you up. And then you will speak about something completely else. You can talk some nonsense. You talk about whatever, right. And then they will cheer you up as well. And then all of a sudden it's not that bad anymore. So like having this good balance and not getting like stuck into this little, like world but then you, because in the end if you just like playing and playing and do nothing else uh you think like this is the most important thing in the world right i mean if it's going well it's great and then uh uh it's great it's cool but like there will be the downswing will be coming right and if that's the only thing you're having in a downswing you're getting actually in a very bad mental state and you're getting in a very destructive uh mental state as well and then all of a sudden your entire life is just like it's awful it's not the best life you can live so That's what i would recommend to a lot of people obviously when you're a low-stakes friend or mid-stakes friend and you have to build up the bankroll you have to put in more hours than i do but again i'm here for 13 years and i've done this uh but still try to to make time like once or twice a week to meet a friend like make time to do sports like three times a week stuff like that make time to read a book make time to call your mom all these kind of things, but um, um, have some kind of balance. And it's like the balance is up to anyone uh, individually as well, right? Some need more or like a bigger work-life balance, and some need less of a work-life balance. But definitely have other things that you do uh, instead of poker. That's that would be that would be my big, big, big advice. Because yeah, been there with just like grinding and downswinging, and it's a downward spiral for sure.
1: Great advice. And yeah, I like what you said that you've got to find that balance for you. It's very different at different stages of your life. And based on your personality, it sounds like for you right now, socializing, having new experiences, and creating a life outside of poker, which is fun, engaging, is really important to you. Maybe that was the same throughout your career. I'm sure there's other phases where it was like grinding much longer hours and less socializing, less novelty, because poker was such a demanding thing but at the same time there's finding that balance based on your current goals your current aspirations and always realizing you you do need to create a life like you can't just have a poker career that is just my whole day it's like you've got to create a life that keeps you happy and for yourself you're a a great model for someone who's had a really long successful career 12 13 13 years plus and still going and still motivated and still almost like you're in your your first day of the job that's refreshing and shows that the importance of creating a life around poker and not just having this one-dimensional pursuit. I speak to a lot of players who are like super hungry, super ambitious, and they think the solution is just to cut everything else out, friends, social life, gym, having time to exercise because they're too busy grinding and studying. And then they always like want to optimize more and more variables. And I'm always just like, oh, for your personality, it's going to be very counterintuitive, you need to relax you need to take a step away and do stuff away from poker you need to get away from your computer i'm like no no no. i don't i need to do more stuff i need to sleep less i need to hack this and do this so yeah, i think it's understanding for you workaholics out there i can relate to you from my younger days you've got to find that balance so you don't burn yourself out and you can have a fun life alongside poker so yeah i think it's a, a really good lesson so in your younger days let's say in the grinded house how are your days different then? Let's say when you're working with poker players, maybe when you're playing mid stakes and you were climbing the ladder. I think a lot of players watching this uh, podcast or listening will be climbing the ladder, either from low tip to mid stakes or mid to high, and they're in that kind of hustle mode and they wanna to get to that next level. For you, how were your days different back in those days? Yeah, I was just
2: like looking back at it, I think the mistake that I did was just like grinding too much, like grinding too many hours and grinding too many tables and probably not being too selective uh, about the tables that I was playing. Uh, If you really want to climb up the you also have to make time for studying right and then because just like from like grinding out hours and hours and hours. uh, It doesn't work like that because you still you still need to improve you still need to get better, so uh, I think looking back the mistake that I've made was just like grinding too much with too little knowledge. Uh, but i also didn 't have a goal, basically. I was just like doing the same thing all over again. You just need a direction right you need to You need to know where you want to be at a certain time obviously you can 't say like in two years i 'm going to be a high stakes player, but you have to have a goal and set like a limit that you want to play and that you want to have a win rate right on right so you need to you need to be goal driven because otherwise you just show up every day and that 's what I did and I was just like doing it because I did it yesterday, so I was like i 'm going to do it tomorrow, and i like, wasn 't really aware of like what 's happening so like setting a goal what you want to achieve. And also, like making time for studying instead of just like grinding, grinding, grinding. I think that's very important because, yeah, in the end, it's about the path, right? It's not about the goal, but you need a goal to to have a direction, right?
1: Yeah, you need the goal first to decide the path to get you there. it so it's like yeah, exactly, like,
2: yeah, and then make sure you enjoy. Sorry, and then and then make sure you'll enjoy the path as well because then if you if you don't enjoy the path, if you don't enjoy the time that you need to reach your goal. It's not like you'll reach your goal and you'll wake up with a smile every day. Imagine you go to university, for example, for four years and you get your bachelor's degrees, but you really didn't like the four years of like studying or whatever you did. And you think you will be happy when you have your bachelor's degrees, you will be happy about your bachelor's degrees for maybe like a day or two. And then all of a sudden you have your bachelor's degrees and then what's next? Right. And you look back at four miserable years and it wasn't really worth it. So like have a direction, have a goal, but also make sure the path to it or the way to it, or the time
1: you're spending to reach the goal is, is enjoyable for you or it's like, yeah, yeah. Very important, very important lesson. And yeah, I think we spend most of our time pursuing things on the path. But at the end, the kind of get to destinations are very fleeting moments. Often yeah. we don't even spend the time to acknowledge it. I picture anything I worked long towards, I got to that outcome and I was like, okay, on to the next thing, it was almost, didn't acknowledge it. I've got one of those degree papers somewhere, gathering dust achievements i've had in my life and like, oh on to the next thing so uh, if you're enjoying the path that's the, the real thing it kind of, how can i wake up every morning loving my days i think i had an interview with steph curry recently the basketball player yeah. and they were going how are you so consistent how do you always put so much time into your craft and he goes i love my days i love my days And i think that's a really good thing it's like i what that really means is he's on the path towards the goals he wants and he loves the path he loves the pursuit and yeah. when you do that and you find that blend for yourself you don't need discipline. You don't need someone with a whip. You don't need consequences because you're enjoying the pursuit. So uh, when you're younger, take some time to figure out what the path is. You might be some trap doors on the way and some some go off track occasionally. But I think always thinking, okay, what's my thing I'm aiming for? And how can I create days and a path to that, which I enjoy the process of? So it's good. Yeah. All right. I want to ask you about emotions. So uh, you touched um. on aiding your career, punching screens, smashing mice. And then you also touched on the fact that you would say you're probably better than your peers at handling your emotions now. So I want to touch on some of the things you may may have done to uh, go from this guy who's smashing his screen to being very zen-like, or at least in control of your emotions relative to other players in your group. What are some of the things that have been important for you to uh, get a handle on your emotions whilst being a poker player? Uh,
2: I think what helped me quite a lot was uh, Jared Tetler's book, uh, The Mental Game of Poker. Uh, yeah, to understand where your emotions coming from and to understand that it's natural. And it's also like when you read in a your book, you're also learning a lot about yourself as well, right? It's like kind of like a self help book and you have these all these like little exercises and as we've mentioned before, you are just like writing down your thoughts and you're writing down your emotions. And then all of a sudden you're reflecting on it. And then at some point it's making sense, right? Like in the end, it all makes sense that these emotions are happening because you play. And when you play, you want to win, right? You don't want to lose or you don't want to draw. You want to win. But in poker, it's just the thing you can't always win because there's always basically probability. So uh, making peace with that and understanding where my emotions coming from, uh, that definitely helped me a lot then obviously getting older, being more experienced, like realizing, okay, this cycle is going to happen over and over again. Like now, this is not the last time, uh, but there will be better times coming as well. I think that's quite important. And then obviously, I guess I'm already 33, the testosterone levels there, they're probably already dropping a little bit. So having less testosterone, but just like having more experience, have a bigger bankroll, have more comfort and have more confidence in general and know that things will go a certain way after some time and it's just a cycle it's the same as on the stock market or with crypto it's like now we're in a bull market but we know we know there's gonna be and having this this confidence of like knowing that things will be good again or having this certainty that things will be going good again at some point and then depending on how much work you're, you're spending on improving it will go you will come faster to the times when things will be better right just like Having the certainty that this is not going to be the status quo and that chaos is not the status quo and there will be good times coming again. You have to push through, learn your lesson,
1: improve, and then there will, there's another day when the sun is shining, right? Mm, great stuff. Yes, I think the first avenue there for you was reflecting. And Jared Tendler's yeah. book was a great kind of in point for you to go into yeah. yourself and. Go for the exercise that he maps out in his book, and then experiencing. And there's no substitutes in life for experience. And I like at the end point you come to the like, state wisdom where you realize everything's a cycle. There's a great book yeah. uh, Principles by Ray Dalio, and he talks about yeah. the cycle. Yeah. Everything's just another one of those, meaning you know, another cycle that goes up, goes down, and goes back to normality. Sometimes we're in the chaos of a down, and we're like, ah, oh, not realizing it's gonna come good again. It's like the, the sun comes yeah. up, sun goes down, kind of analogy. But it takes a while to get to that point, especially. When emotions are involved, because emotions kind of paint a lens that this is what life's going to be like. If you wake up depressed, on low energy, like life sucks. Not this next hour sucks. Not this emotion is going to pass by. It's like my life sucks right now, and we need to get past that and realize. Wait a second, this emotion is going to pass. This phase of my life is going to pass. It's going to be another cycle. On the other side, there's going to be some good times. However, I've got to embrace going through these tough times. Some lessons to learn. Often a lot of lessons to be learned. I don't want to say like, rush through this. This negative periods. And yeah, I think wisdom of understanding it's going to come back around in a good way and you're going to learn from it and come out of the side. So yeah, I think that's a a really important one. I know myself, if I get caught in emotion, if I can like, like I've talked about before, observe that emotion, you just realize it's going to pass. It's going to pass. it's It's not going to last forever. It's going to be gone before I've even took time to to notify it so uh, yeah, i think you understand that emotions don't unless you cling on to them the other thing emotions last a long time and i like what you talk about pushing things down and putting the, the monster under the rock and them growing it's the same with emotions that you push them down and you don't you suppress them over and over they ain't going anywhere for a long time they're going to blow up in different ways and they may carry around for a long part of your life but if you're experiencing emotions if you're actually with an emotion they're very quickly like they're, they're on a short yeah. time frame relatively to a uh, kind of your your life so uh, you can get through many emotions very quickly if you experience them so good stuff i like that yeah
2: the pain will come suffering is optional right you know that yes. the downswing is going to be coming but if you suffer from it, if you're making it worse than it actually is and if you don't see it for what it is then it's even more it's like harder to endure but if
1: you know it's going to come
2: and you know how it's going to be you know it's going to pass then
1: yeah you yeah do yeah a... yeah yeah you don't there's an equation for that something like suffering equals pain times by resistance or something. So how much you resist the situation equals the suffering. So the pain is given, you have the pain. If you resist the pain, you suffer. If you let the pain come through, you're okay. So yeah, great stuff. All right, I want to touch on a few uh, things that you talked about. Uh, favorite books because like you talk about a certain time of your life where you were doing introspective work for your 2015-2016 time yeah. you were really digging deep into yourself and we've talked about poker books like Jared Tenless the Game of Poker is yeah, there any other fair. books maybe outside of poker that had a big impact on your life
2: yeah it's definitely um i was reading as a man Thinketh." Uh, i think it's from paul allen it's a very old one it's like 100 years old like i tried to read it in english but the, i only went through three pages so i bought it in german so i definitely recommend this one it's all only like 90 pages but get it in your and get it in your mother language don't read it in english because it will be impossible this had that this one had a really big impact because it's about like things positive instead of negative and that negativity leads to nothing and then positivity basically leads to everything right like if you have negative energy like it will get you to certain places but it will get you to the wrong places and negative limit or uh, negative energy is also limited whereas positive energy will get you to the right place and, and will make you meet the right persons and it's also unlimited right because if you're sharing positive energy it will also come back to you and then it's just like it's unlimited so that one was really good uh, then i was reading uh both of uh, jordan peterson books 12 rules for life and 12 more rules for life uh i think uh, he has like very strong opinions but he's also he knows so so many different things and he's he's digging down deep on so many topics so i would really recommend this one and then there was another book from dale carnegie how to make friends and influence people i believe it's called it's also like i like these old books i like books that are like 100 years old because it's not like just like how do you say it? it's like a fad that's coming up or it's like a hype that's coming up or like here the five secrets to happiness or like in two weeks to a six pack like all these these bullshitting books that are coming out now so i really like uh the wisdom from like old uh like people that, that were really successful this one really helped me a lot uh yeah to make friends and how to make friends and what do are actually people looking for looking like because A lot of people are just like, oh, what I've noticed is that you put out your Instagram story, right? And then you're waiting for somebody to reply and you're just like putting out things and putting out things. But in the end, to really get attention, to like, to get like really attention and affection from people, you have to to ask them how, how it's going for them and what they are doing. And then they will be speaking right? And they will be turning to you. And then all of a sudden, when you give more than you expect, and then people will turn back to you, right? If you're nice to them and you're asking them for their opinion on what's on your mind, they will eventually come back to you. It's not like you're putting out your Instagram story of the picture at the beach. Obviously, you will get a reply, but it's not going to be long lasting because people are just like replying because they're seeing something else. It's not like really in depth. So uh, this book was also really good. And there are a few there are a few more i can't think of right now but maybe we can put like i can write down a list and maybe we can put it into the into the youtube link here i think that's the best right if i give my favorite books out that help me a lot and
1: that's quite helpful yeah we'll do that we'll do that we'll get yeah. a list of people i think cool. our audience will enjoy that
2: yeah and then there was a big audio i oh yeah, there's one big audio book it's on audible but probably on other, um like audio audio apps as well uh, it's called uh, buddhism for beginners uh, by Jack Cornfield and uh, yes, I think it's like nine or 11 hours and I'm still listening to it because like, he's like a monk and he's like, like telling some personal stories and telling some like uh, teachings of the Buddha and I think there was so much wisdom on it. I was reflecting on a lot, and the, the examples and the stories that he's giving—they are so simple, but there's so much truth in it. And I took a lot away from this, like from like the teachings from the Buddha or like the Bible. Even like I was reading or listening to some interpretations of the Bible. And these these stories are like two, three thousand years old, but they're still around, and there's a reason why they're still around because there's
1: so much truth to it. So yeah, that was like quite helpful for me as well, for sure. It's not great book suggestions. We can tell it from even from that list that you're a very deep thinker and you're on this, you're searching for wisdom, like things that have lasted this lo- like a long time. It's very easy to call them the, the gimmicky new strategies, new approaches. But yeah. often, if we go deeper into like things that have survived, yeah, literally hundreds of years, and people are still reading them today. There's a good chance that what they're saying is universals into yeah. the human psyche, the concepts of being human, or they understand something at a high level, which is not going to go away. And yeah, I think uh, as a man thinking, it's very similar to uh, Think and Grow Rich, another you know, kind of popular one from that genre, where like control yeah. your thoughts and the energy of your thoughts and depends on how deep you want to go on this concept but it's it's very black and white and simple to me in terms of if you're thinking positive things you're generally going to go down lifelines that correlate with that on the flip side if you're thinking negative all the time you're going to be the unlucky person who's always ending up in unlucky scenarios and tough situations so uh, regardless of how much law of attraction you believe in there's definitely things going on with that concept where which can't be denied so yeah i think as a man think it's a very short version of how to uh, understand the thought process and thinking is yeah. That help you. Then, uh, how to make friends and influence people. I I think is a great book. I think everyone should read that, especially if you want want to have a good social life. And one of the key takeaways I got from that book was kind of what you touched on. And basically, people are way more interested in themselves than they are in you, regardless of what you do. You could be the most interesting person in the world to yourself. They don't care. Ask them five questions about themselves. They're much more likely to talk about themselves. I think that when myself, when I could picture myself when I learned this this concept, I was in social scenarios, and I I used this thinking What can I tell people about myself? I was like, oh. Nobody cares. All they care about is themselves. So I can ask them questions. So then yeah. it's freezing because then you can just ask open questions and be interested in the people. And all of a sudden, they're interested in what you're doing later. Like once you've actually engaged in that process. So yeah, I think it's a a good like life lesson. It's understanding human nature that we are. That's not gonna change. Everyone's interested in themselves. We've got the self interested narrative going on. And if you want to be a social person, you've got to play the, play by the rules and be the person who asks questions. All right, great stuff. So uh, any. Uh, Actually, René, any books for you would suggest? We're gonna do a book list. Maybe I can come with some as well. Uh, any books that have had a powerful influence on your life? Um
0: actually, the first the first ever self-help book that I ever read was Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod, if I'm not mistaken. Uh that basically set sort of the domino and action of reading other books, because there you're going to have learned like, hey, it's like win the morning, win the day, oh, if you do these sort of things. So it's like the concept of, oh, wait, you actually have a control over how your day is going to go if you do these things in the morning. You know, that like that mindset is like interesting. And then I think actually the second book was the law of attraction. Which I think, if you read the real, real law of attraction book, a lot of people are going to be like, Oh, yeah, sure, yeah, sure. Wait, ask for the universe, and the universe will deliver. Like, that got a little bit of a bad rep, right? But then, like, more thinking grow rich as a man think it. Uh, uh, a lot of Joe Dispenza stuff, that, there they go a little bit more deeper into that topic, and that's definitely you know, positive energy. I'm a big fan of uh, other books, principles from Ray Dalio, I think you already mentioned, I think definitely. uh. Definitely must read all the books from um, Ryan Holiday. I think he has four by now, five, four, four. Oh, good. Especially Obstacles the Way, which is probably a theme of this podcast. Uh, Yeah, just these came up now from the top of my mind. Uh, Actually, I wanted to, it was interesting that at some point you came to the conclusion. You said, also, I was lacking a goal because you were mentioning that you were a bit too lazy right why, why why they took 12 years not six and you say ah, i was lazy didn't study enough but i didn't actually wrote down it's probably because of lack of a goal and then later you said actually but i really didn't really know where i was going so i think that's so important because the the how i remember in my career at some point i met met up uh, with explode and he was always he was saying, to go guys we're gonna try to become the best so it was me explode poker Kluka. And I never really had that goal before. So then what you're doing is you're just doing enough to get by, right? You have to pay your bills. I was just living. I was playing poker to to live. And when there was a bigger goal, you suddenly think, oh, becoming the best. Okay, well, what would we have to do in order to become the best? And then suddenly, like studying is obviously, yeah, it's obviously part of that, right? Hiring coaches, putting in the hours. Uh, looking at strategy from various various uh, perspectives. So GTO, exploitative, NDA, et cetera, because you have a goal, right? And the more important that goal is, so the more important the why behind the goal, the more it's going to determine if you have to push yourself forward towards the goal or if you're going to get pulled towards the goal, right? How important is that goal for you on a deeper level, except for just making money, right? Uh, so I think that's... It's, if you're lacking a little bit of motivation and you're trying to push yourself to, you have to really push yourself towards studying and towards showing up, probably you have to take a good look at where you're going and why. I think that's probably the main takeaway that I got from why it took you 12 years and not six.
2: It was, yeah. Didn't have a why or didn't have, yeah, didn't have the direction. Um, yeah, these days I think I'm I'm way more I'm way more clear. I like I know my position in the poker world and I know that I'm not not like a top twenty player or I know that I'm not do, would be doing well right now at the minute in like a 10k rec battle or something. So I'm avoiding it. I'm also at the minute I'm traveling a lot and there's a lot of things happening at the minute. So I know I, I can't jump into these games and think I will have success. So I know that like when I was younger I would have probably seen the game, would be like, ah, I'll be tempted to play and let's see what's gonna happen. But now I know I know the games that I'm playing right now, I'm beating that I'm good at them or maybe I'm one of the better players at them. Um, but to to make the next step, but like I'm not sure if I even want to make the next step or will make the next step of like trying to become like one of these like top 30 or top 20 players. I don't know if I want to do this um, because I have to put in a lot of work and it has to be less traveling and less, Less social activities for sure. So I'll see see um, when summer's over. And then, uh, but it's important to know who you are and like where you're standing and like not try to to play above your limit or uh, think you're one of the best and then try to compete with them because there's not many good things will be happening.
0: No, and other things right now are more important in your life, right? You try to live your day to day, which is according to your goals. And like you said, if you want to go battle Linus and Stefan at 10K. Yeah, you probably have to alter what you do on a daily basis in order to get there. And okay. in this case, for example, that would mean mean satisfy uh, sacrificing maybe some traveling that you're really enjoying. And then this was actually also a point that we touched on, right, about you have to be happy with your day-to-day. And I think it was in the podcast with Johan, right, where he said, the moments where I spew the hardest is moments in my life where I'm just not happy. And a spew is... His body sort of telling him like, hey, I'm not happy right now. I don't want to play poker. So I'm just going to spew off. I thought that was very, very, very big wisdom. Do you know Do you know something similar? Like when you're not happy and it's almost like a, sport, a form of self-sabotage. Your, your body starts to sabotage itself because it doesn't want to be here playing poker right now.
2: Yeah, I noticed one thing and I was reading about it uh, in Jordan Peterson's book as well. And he was like, there was a topic about like, if your flat or if the space that you're living in is not organized and clean you will also not your also your faults won't be organized and you'll also have turmoil in your head and i was like i, th- I thought that was quite interesting like and i was struggling with it because i was always living shared but now living by myself the first thing i do in the morning is make my bed and then clear up my room like my, my flat here right like that i make sure there's nothing there's like no old cups or there's like the, the floors vacuum and everything is like clean and tidy uh because that because when I walk in 20 times and I, you see this chaos, you see like an old cup or you see like an old glass or like your clothes, they are they're lying around on the floor or on the couch. This also doesn't give you like this peace of mind. Uh and it's reflecting on your situation in your head as well. And then sometimes I realize, okay, it's not as tidy as I wanted to be in here, and then I'm thinking what about your head and then I see what's going on in my head and it's just like my head and my thoughts are spinning around so this is something I do on a daily basis uh, for me like keep the flat clean keep, keep everything tidy like make sure every morning spend like 10 minutes of it just like having it the way I want it to be and then I have like clarity in my thoughts as well and then I can walk in a few times take a break from my session get a coffee get a drink and everything is the way I want it to be and I come back and everything is calm in my head I think this is something I do on a regular basis uh, or like on a daily basis basically every day
0: interesting interesting concept As we, uh, definitely within your control if you're living alone i would say that i am the disorganized one in our house my wife is more like you she before she starts she wants everything to be organized so i sometimes she has to go do something and i see her clean the whole house i'm like Okay, What's, weren't you supposed to go do that? But she cannot start without the, the place being clean. I have the same with my, with my desk. My office has to be clean. But around that, you know, I don't see it. As long as around my screen, my desk, that's yeah. everything tidy, then I can just do my thing. But maybe I'm not aware of other mess around influencing the quality of my thoughts. So, hey, maybe something to, yeah. to, to give a try. I wanted to try, touch on one more thing also, When you also mentioned, well, why it took 12 years, not six, you were talking about that, you know, you were maybe just playing too much. Again, I think we can relate this to the goal. When you have a big goal, a question you should always ask yourself when you play a session is, how can this session contribute to me achieving my goals, right? Every session is a little step towards your goal. And when you don't have a big goal, and when maybe at this point in your career, from a money perspective, you were also already satisfied. You weren't really grinding with a certain purpose. So what then happens yeah. is you are just autopiloting. You will not be engaged. Whereas if you're trying to become the best, your brain is really like, okay, we're trying to become the best. I'm trying to become better. Oh, this is this is the new spot that I'm working on. You're looking for new spots to improve. You're way more engaged. So all the sessions that you will play are going to be quality instead of quantity. I think this is a very important pe- uh, point for people who are doing a lot of autopiloting. You need a purpose. You need a goal. And you need to always ask yourself how can this session contribute to that goal, and try to show up in a way that will help you get towards that goal. So that was, that was like the last piece of advice. Any any final words on that before we? Uh... No, but
2: you're summarizing quite well, I have to say. It's hard to add something. Uh, hard to add something purposefully. It's very good. I
0: like it. You you also mentioned uh, that uh, currently you know you're not really sure if you want to try to take a shot at trying to become top 20 top 30 rec mainly because of the sacrifices so what are what are the main reasons you play poker right now like what are your main goals in poker right now
2: yeah the main goal is like to to um keep up the status quo obviously like i'm playing for the month like first i'm playing to actually be better than yesterday and like to enjoy the time that i'm playing but obviously there's a monetary incentive behind it as well like my goal is to like to make the, the most money I can do uh, with like the least stress so I, I like I don't like variance at the minute I don't want to go on big down swings so and that's why I'm avoiding. Uh, these like these wreck battles and stuff because again like i'm on and off here and then you have like a big losing area you have like a bad stretch because the edges are so small. And then I don't want to lose a lot of money and then go on a holiday because I know I can't enjoy my holiday. So for the minute, it's like to keep the variance at the bare minimum to play like soft games or to play games where I know I'm at least the second best track at the table. And um, yeah, to invest as much money as I can to be financially like free or like financially independent at some point where I have like less stress and uh, yeah, where I don't need to grind as much anymore and then where I have more time to like think about the things that I might want to do after or like the things. Of like how to help more people or to have like a bigger impact on society or at least like have a bigger or better impact on my friends and family or like the people that are important to me so for the minute uh, it's really just like enjoying myself on a daily basis enjoying the sessions that i'm playing making sure i'm not playing too much making sure i'm playing the right stakes where i'm one of the best players and then if i have more time or if i'm willing to sacrifice more time Maybe I'll take a step at the big game, but I have to make this decision. I really like it the way it is at the minute, but I also know I'm probably not gonna like it in half a year or like in one year's time if I keep on playing the same stake and like keep on not having this like challenge or this like goal that I'm striving to. I would say maybe
0: that competitive nature, right, that we talked about all the way in the yeah. beginning of the podcast. Yeah. Like, how do you yeah. then try to find within the current grind? How do you then find ways to satisfy that competitive nature?
2: It's still, I mean, the, the games that I'm playing, it's it's not like they're very easy games, but people, they're actually very good at poker and it's still like very competitive, like still super competitive at these games. So for the minute with like the time and energy I'm having, I'm fine with that. And I'm fine with that kind of competition. But as soon as I have more time or as soon as I'm willing to spend more time into studying and more time uh, to play bigger games, there will be obviously, I'm be looking for a bigger competition. But for now, for the minute, I'm fine with it. And I'm I'm willing to have like less of this, like, uh, yeah, this feeling of every day I need to compete, I need to compete, I let this a little bit on the side, but therefore I'm having like, I'm having like holidays or like I'm I'm going on trips with my friends or having some time off or yeah, just have more free time and then it's especially for me not having these huge swings will also like help me to have like a better quality free time. Because uh yeah, when you step into the ring with the big boys, the swings will be big, and then you're off time, and uh, the, yeah, everything else besides the table your social life will also be uh, like ideally it shouldn't, but I know it will affect me a little bit for sure. Um, yeah, so for now it's fine, but for the future, uh, I'll give it uh, I'll see see how I feel, see if I enjoy what I like see enjoy enjoy this like big uh this big work life balance where poker is not the main thing anymore where I enjoy like meeting people and stuff. And like, I don't know, taking time to, to do a lot of sports and to take time to read books, because maybe I feel like I want to do a little bit more poker and then I'll probably give it another shot for the minute. Again, it's good for the future for half a year on a year's time. I don't know. We'll see. And uh, I'll try to make my best, my best decision for sure.
0: Yeah. I think that's all we can do, right? Uh, what is yeah. important to us changes. And I think yeah. we, we are especially in, in the life situation uh, that we are at. We, are fortunate that we can adjust our strategies or how we approach on a day-to-day basis based on how we're currently feeling at that moment. Yeah. Um, in poker, what is something that you're uh, excited about now? Strategically, let's say we, do, uh, we hop on a coaching call tomorrow or at least a strategy call. And you're like, WECO, this is a spot I'm so excited about. <laughs> let's talk some strategy about the situation. Any situation that comes up that, that yeah. has uh, intrigued you?
2: yeah i'm always a bit excited but also always a bit nervous when i see the stefan guy all of a sudden having like four or five different race sizes and then all of a sudden he's free betting smaller and he's having like three different three betting sizes and he's four different open race sizes and then all of a sudden he starts betting like 200 pop like I think it's like very interesting, and sometimes I'm wondering if there's like a big intention behind it, or if he's sometimes just like freestyling or like taking the momentum that he's having in a game. And when he knows he can run over people, that he's doing that. Um, so like, I'm, it's very interesting to see him, and I'm curious what's gonna happen because like the other guys, like Marcus and uh, Linus, they they kind of like stick to their strategy they're not deviating as much, but this guy always seems to, there's always something new that he's doing. I'm always wondering, has that a purpose? Is that good? Will this be working out in the toughest games? And then if it's working out, all of a sudden you have like a new era of poker, and all of a sudden, it seems like the GTO approach, the solver-based, pile solver approach is done. And we go past that point and all of a sudden we play these like super complex strategies with three different sizes but maybe it's just freestyling maybe hes i don't know what he's doing uh maybe he's just using again the momentum in a session and maybe when he's running over people he like starts to use make like make the best out of his image and like just like betting big and stuff i don't know but uh like i always like try to see him and get some inspiration from what he's doing and then Yeah, seeing it and then questioning myself or like speaking with the team in the background, like, is this really good what he's doing? Can we implement it? Is that that really something that makes sense? Or is it just him being a bit crazy or him just like sun running or maybe bad bad running? Who knows? Who knows?
0: Yeah, it's a very thin line. When I see hands of Barry Sweet or Stefan, it's like, okay, is this genius or just madness? I I think there was a comment made like, this hand is either seen on 10NL or 10KNL. You know, in the middle, you don't see this hand. It's 10 and L or 10 K And yeah. when it's a 10 and L, you're like, and also I have seen some hands that if I would see my student do the 10 like, dude, what the fuck, man? Seriously, take it seriously. But when they're doing it, you're like, okay, I guess, you know, you, you give this some respect that there's a thought process behind it that I just don't understand.
2: Yeah, of course. And you always, it's like, because back in the day, I was always like, yeah, like I saw a hand that these guys have played, I put it to the server, and then all of a sudden, the was saying, badly played and I was like yeah come on these guys they can't be that good but nowadays I'm always asking myself like what's the what's the point behind it right like what's a thought behind it and why did he play it a certain way because then you can actually learn from this right because if you're just saying oh but he played it badly and look at the solver you don't learn anything but if you're coming with like an open approach and like trying to figure out why he did it or what's behind it or what's the reason behind it I think then you can actually then you can actually learn from it
0: yeah that uh, that that actually makes a lot of sense Speaking at when you're at the tables, uh, do you have maybe like a current sort of nemesis? You don't have to say a name, but what, what type of player is this nemesis and what is it about this type of player that you find hard to play against or that triggers you?
2: Um, at the minute I would say so when I play these five K games on ACR, I think the best player who's playing is obviously Daryl is sometimes playing four six four sometimes in these games. But I think uh Davy Jones, uh, he has improved a lot, a lot, a lot. Um, because I remember when he came up like three years ago or something, I think he made a transition from heads up or two years ago. Uh, he wasn't that good and there were like clear flaws in this game, but um, yeah, w- what's annoying about him, like well, what's annoying in general about these like good players, they put on the pressure in all all type of spots, right, they will find the bluff on an a size spot, whereas like a mid stakes or like a 1k or 2k player. He won't find the unnatural bluff on like an A-side right board, And um, yeah, I mean, these guys work ethic. They're sitting there every day and they're performing every day and their results are really great. And um, yeah, what's so good about them? Again, that they find the unintuitive bluffs on the boards where, where like most of the population is under bluffing. And then you sit there, you have
0: a bluff catch and you don't know what to do, right? And then, uh,
2: yeah, you always yeah.
0: knew what to do, but then suddenly David it, Jones it, shows up it. and you're like, nah.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe you have no to get that more. RNG out. <laughs> the RNG that I'm not using and then you're lost a little bit yeah he's definitely like in the games that I'm playing at the minute like up to 5k he's definitely uh one of the best ones and then obviously Daryl is playing them as well and I don't know, regard him as a like definitely as like a top five rack at the minute like him Davy Jones and there's Linus and Marcus and uh obviously there's some Russian guys and there, like Stefan for example this Aurora guy and they're all like pretty good they're very tough to play. Like they all have their own style, but um like in a way that they know how to play their strategy and they know how they come across at the table. So it's like really tough to play it against these guys. And then I think at like two K and stuff, there's nobody really like standing out from the crowds. Or where I feel like, oh god, this guy, this guy is beating me up, or I have a tough time against this guy. It's more like these like top ten guys, top fifteen guys that are really putting the pressure on. They're going different ways and they know more and they're playing the spots better than I do and stuff. So.
0: Yeah, so. there's definitely a gap. Uh, once you play 5K, there's a there's a player who suddenly playing yeah. these games that make your life way tougher than yeah. uh, than a 1K or 2K. That 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 is for sure. It's you you mentioned, uh, and that's actually something that I still really like about poker. They all have their own styles, right? Like you can like many many strategies can be plus a v. How you execute yeah. the strategy is going to determine how plus v of a player you are. What do you think is something about your strategy that or your approach that gives you an edge?
2: (laughs) So I have to give away my little secrets here. (laughs) No, I mean, uh, in the end, there are no no big secrets. I think in the past, I've played a little bit of a more aggressive strategy. Like the last two years, two and a half years, i played extremely aggressive and was like over-frequency in most of the spots. And I think it has worked out for me. Uh, Nowadays, or especially like the last year, for example, I noticed that people have picked up on this and I got called down left and right and left and right. So uh, I've like toned down the the aggression a little bit, like the frequency, Uh, I decreased them a little bit. And um, yeah, that's what I've been doing at the minute, just like looking for better spots to be aggressive and not being overly aggressive in every spot. And obviously sacrificing a little bit of my red line that I used to, that used to be like the determination of my strategy. Yeah, you have to have a winning red line and then you're playing a good strategy. But then again, there are guys who have like a winning red line strategy like Stefan and Linus, but then all of a sudden there's a guy like Barry Sweet coming in and his red line is completely dropping because he has a completely different, different approach to poker. So uh, yeah, in the end, it's about what I've said before as well as like understanding the game, understanding the players and understanding the spots and like picking the spots where you go for, where you're bluffing a lot and then picking the spots where I you know this guy will call second pair again. And then if you know he's called second pair for stacks again, then you just like jam second pair with a better kicker for value uh, instead of like over bluffing the bottom range like continuously and just getting called everywhere. So this is something I've been doing lately or like spending more time with like, see the spots, see what the guy is doing and see his frequency of calling down. And if he's calling me down too light, I will jam, uh, I will jam a little bit tighter or like if he's calling me down with, uh like a third pair all the time i'll I'll jam second pair for value instead of taking the bottom of my range and and bluffing it all in but but then again you're off the solver completely again and uh yeah you're in the wild wild west yeah the wild wild west and then all of a sudden uh yeah it's a a new strategy it's a new game that you're playing and uh, but it's interesting and that makes poker interesting That you're always changing that you're always like trying to improve your approach and uh not doing the thing that you did a year ago because Obviously, it's not going to work out, and not because people have become better at.
0: Yeah, I think it's also a misconception about red line. I mean, it really depends on your approach, and I think also there's certain players where I red line more against, and certain players where I blue line more against. Yeah. And I do understand what you like. If you take three years ago, four years ago, uh, the average player was more passive and more willing to fold than the current day player. So I definitely would say the same as you, that there is more players now who I try to run over a little bit less and I'm more forced to make tougher call downs. Uh, If I compare my stats in the past to now, in the past, I would bluff more, I guess, on average and would fold more on average. And now it's like maybe bluff less on average and fold less on average. But this is just an adjustment to the modern day player who's way more into Pio and who's way more aggressive, way less willing to fold. So... You know, you're just adjusting to the games. And obviously, you know, sometimes you still see a rack in a game that's like, hey, this is a guy I can pound <laughs> on. Nice. Finally. But yeah, it's it's it became a bit more the exception than whereas in the past I think it was more the rule, right? That people are just uh, too passive and too much folding.
2: Yeah. These days it's a bit more merge, right? You're you're merging um your value engine a little bit more, and then if there's a guy calling too much, you're you're putting in like more, like thinner value. If the guy is overfolding a little bit, you're just adding more plus to it, right? This is basically the entire adjustment.
0: All right, guys, that's poker in a nutshell. Easy, easy, easy. game. Easy. All right, uh, we're we're uh, we're quite long here. Eh? I think we're uh, gonna wrap it up. Do you have any Ooh. further questions, Adam?
1: No, all okay, good from my ends. I just like to thank Julian for being so open and sharing so much wisdom with our audience. Do you any final words yourself julian that you'd like to share with our audience
2: yeah, yeah. first of all thanks for having me thanks for having me uh, i really enjoyed it and i already said it to renee before like the, like i like how you prepare this podcast right you're like actually like super prepared you're sending in this questionnaire and then you get to know the person that you're interviewing better and then you always have something to talk about and i really enjoyed that it was going so in depth and that we're like digging deep and like Yeah, giving giving back some of our wisdom to like even some younger people that are listening and like making them life a little bit better. And I also like that it's not just about poker; it's also a bit about life because in the end, uh, like life and poker, also they can be a little bit correlated as well. Uh, And yeah, in the grand scheme of things like the life and like the wisdom that we take from is more important than poker. So I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the conversation. It's like three hours now. I'm
0: starting to struggle as well to find the right words, but uh, yeah,
2: again, thanks for having me. I
0: had a really, really, really good time. What a great conversation with Julian. That was as always, Adam, what were your main takeaways? What did we learn from Julian?
1: I was very impressed with Julian. I thought he had a lot of wisdom and a lot of experience that he's gained the hard way, so to speak, 12 years to get to his ultimate outcome of playing 5Ks regularly. And there's a lot of great wisdom that he's learned throughout that time that he was kind enough to share with us throughout this conversation. One thing that came across was his kind of holistic approach to life and poker. He almost treats everything as fitting into this kind of balanced perspective where he's got relationships in there. He's got his daily habits. He's got exercising. He's got how he's showing up on a daily basis. And you talked about that story in his career when his relationships went really badly and poker instantly went badly as well. And he went into depression. I think as a poker player, it's really good to remember we're a person first and a poker player second, and we can't, Compartmentalize them, we can't go. Poker is this, and then my life's a mess over here. And he talked a lot about the chaos, get, getting good at going through the chaos and getting everything in place. Even towards the end, he was talking about um, making sure his environment is really tidy. So his mind is very tidy. So uh, I like how uh, holistic he was talking about uh, life overall and poker. And he was also trying to keep things simple. Even when he talked about poker strategy for a long time, he was talking about keep it simple until you get to uh, the master's level and the real high, high level. Make it simple, make your life simple clear your room, clear your space and make your strategies um, as simple as you can. Next thing was reflecting. He spent a lot of time reflecting on his weaknesses as a person overall. He's always a guy who's seeking wisdom. He's reading very like deep books that have been around for a long time. But I found him someone who's done a lot of self-exploration and coming to terms with his kind of dark side and his insecurities. And he had a, a patch of his life where things weren't going so well. I know like we're talking to him in this current day and things are going great for him. He had long patches where things weren't going well and he was almost in a depressive state and things weren't progressing. And he had to take a real deep, hard look at himself and reflect on what wasn't working. He saw some things that he didn't really like and he didn't back away. So he talked about meditation being a really important habit for him. And he got good at observing his thoughts, observing his reactions to things. And he started to realize, wait a second, I'm not showing up in the way I want to. Which then took us to those stoic concepts of controllable variables. And once you realize you're not showing up in a certain area, you've got two options. You can either keep going the way you're going and ignore it, or you can start to meet it head on and go, wait a second, I control these variables. How I'm showing up daily is my job. I can start improving this. And we talked about over and all that I his kind of drive to be better, I'm training to, to be better. And I think. It was really good how the conversation started off with sports and then went to gaming and then went to poker and the, the trend lines was coming through the whole time of always being, be getting better and learning from your experiences. But even that saying that, there was a patch in the middle where he kind of went off the rails a bit where he wasn't progressing. So uh, yeah, there's so many lessons there, but I felt like it was a really wise guy and I'll be replaying this for myself to listen to it to, uh, to take more notes. How about yourself, Randy? What was the top three takeaways?
0: Yeah, I thought he was a role model for what this podcast stands for, right? to go through your career where you face obstacles and learn lessons through the obstacles that you face. And I mean, that's his mindset, right? He was continuously looking for opportunities in moments of adversity. What's this moment trying to teach me? How can I become better? Apparently, I wasn't as good as a player or as good as a person as I thought I was. That's okay. Now I'm going to try to make progress Indeed, like the work ethic that he took from gaming, from sports. There he learned, okay, we should just try to continuously get better. He's starting to apply that to poker as well. I a very important takeaway was the goal, right? That was something that when you asked him, why did it take 12 years, not six? Not something that he mentioned straight away, but later he came to that. Well, I guess also I didn't really have a goal. He said that he was lazy studying, didn't, didn't, wasn't really focused while playing, but that was all because he didn't have a purpose. It was probably at then, you know, he already grinded a little bit. The money part was a bit satisfied from the perspective of satisfying his environment, showing that you know, he was good enough that his career choice was a good decision that was probably also satisfied. So at this moment, I think he just needed a new sense of purpose that could make him excited and that makes him care about this upcoming session again, right? So I think in general, that's always a very important takeaway. Uh, Indeed, looking for controllable things within the chaos, kept on coming back. Uh, Also knowing that what you're going through at this moment is temporary and it will pass right? That was also a very, very big takeaway. Uh, yeah. I mean, a lot of goodness, but these were a couple of points that I, re- that I wrote down. Um, I want to thank you, Adam, for co-hosting the podcast with me again today. I want to thank Julian again. I want to thank the audience for tuning in. For the audience, remember, we have a little promotion going, 25% off closing sale, mechanics of poker going behind closed doors making room for the mechanics of Poker 2.0. So last chance to guarantee a seat within the program is this month, the program, uh, the promotion will end in July. So make sure to guarantee your seat. And yeah, that's it. Now, if you learned something in this episode, we would much appreciate it if you like and subscribe. Leave a comment with your main takeaways. Give us a five star rating and follow the pod. This way we can reach more players and help them reach their big and ambitious poker goals. And if you want us to help you get to those goals, go over to PokerAmbition.com to find out more.